Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Morning, all lines open at one 106 Newspaper-wise this morning, uh, much of it has to do, unfortunately, with death and tragedy. And, of course, yesterday we were hearing, just coming off the air of a mum, uh, and her two young kids found strangled in their home yesterday. They may have laid there for a number of days. Their bodies, 37-year-old ma'am, uh, 11-year-old daughter and a 6-year-old son in a house in County Dublin. It's the front page of many uh, of the red tops and all of the papers uh, carry it this morning in detail. In fact, uh, the, mirror, the mail this morning talks about the suspect who's been linked to this um, is the husband of the woman found dead with her two children. He's seeking medical attention at the moment now, uh, but the mail go into quite some detail and they say that he was actually due in court today on charges of seriously assaulting her in the past. Uh, so mother and two children dead in their home, suspect already linked to assault on the wife. The guard, called it unexplained, and the house itself now is a crime scene. And then uh, we also hear of a court case that uh, came to a conclusion uh, yesterday, and it had ran for a number of weeks. It's the front page story in the Echo today, uh, just over two years since the guards found um, Timmy Foley's body at Dan Corkery Place in McCroom. Uh, two years later, find, having found him in a pool of blood in the house in McCroom, stabbed 28 times, his ex-wife Rita O'Driscoll from Bandon was found guilty yesterday and sentenced to life imprisonment. And then, uh, the very sad story involving the O'Sullivan family. We now know of two different um, notes that were left. Uh, one was left with the uh, body of uh, Dermot, who had a very, very lengthy note, uh, pages long, strapped to his thigh when his body and his father Tig's body was found on the farm in Kantark. And now, the papers this morning, and Mooney and the Sun is saying uh, that um, the Third, the second son, uh, Mark, um, had also left uh, a note or some correspondence that he had left in his mother's medicine bag. Apparently, he left a letter in his mum's bag. The papers this morning talk about the amounts of wounds uh, to his body when it seems as if his dad and his brother burst into his room at half past six in the morning and shot him multiple times. So, it's very, very sad, I have to say. An awful lot of pain and, and suffering uh, and death over the past few days. Um, with regards to other stories, and of course you have all of the COVID-related stories, and amongst them now is, we were speculating about this on the air yesterday morning, will they or won't they go back uh, to school next week? Not so much the students, because uh, they can't go back if the teachers don't go back. And secondary schools, uh, teachers have voted to back strike action over two things, pay and covid and the mail this morning says the teachers are back on strike, or at least they will be after this ballot. And they're going to take industrial action unless the government address the concerns. So they're demanding, um, you know, a lot more to be done with regards to COVID-19, virus testing, resources like free laptops for teachers and pupils so that they can teach remotely. So the next couple of days will be, I imagine, will be, uh, you know, paramount as to whether or not this can be resolved uh, and as to whether or not the schools will go back, secondary schools anyway, by next week. There's a doctor on the lee side called Dr. Philip Kieran who says that he's seeing more and more people coming into his practice on, on Washington Street with lockdown fatigue. And he determines lockdown fatigue as people being exhausted, isolated and anxious. And he says there's so much now to put up with. Papers also say that we have uh, hundreds of people without hospital beds when they appear at our hospitals. Uh, 300 people waiting for beds in Irish hospitals yesterday alone. 
There's a breakdown where the University Hospital Cork had 35 people waiting uh, on a bed. Um, so, And this as we head into the winter with a lot of other illnesses and a lot of other issues regarding people's health to come. But other countries now are uh, stepping up with regards to reimposing very, very strict lockdowns. And you will see France, Germany and Italy very much step up. Macron was on television last night talking about a national uh, strategy of lockdown that will involve, if things go the way they want them to go in France, uh, one hour outside your home to a distance of one kilometre. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? I mean, that's an awful lot more strict with regards to France as opposed to, say, here in Ireland. And, of course, there has been other stories making the news, including uh, the mother and baby homes and the Tribunal of Inquiry. We'll have more on that because it seems as if the survivors and those who gave evidence can, on an individual basis, seek uh, their um, file, seek their documentation and seek their birth records, perhaps if they want to trace their history or their parentage. So more on that. And that's the story we've been across on this program uh, for many, many months now. Indeed, many, many years when you trace back the whole scandal and saga of Besbra, for instance. And also, great news uh, in the examiner this morning, uh, the beloved nursing home on Cork's north side, Mount Cara, has been saved from closure. It will remain open. And again, this is all about people power. Don't kid yourself. This is about people coming out and saying, no, we're not happy with this. We want it left alone. Come up with another plan. So well done to the staff, the families and the residents who saved it from closure. And I'm reading from this morning's examiner today, a body blow with regards to Cork Airport and flights, both the examiner and the Echo and the Mail all talk about Ryanair pulling flights out of Shannon and more importantly, pulling flights out of Cork. In fact, the Mail this morning say that Ryanair flights uh, from Cork and Shannon could be over for good. I doubt that. Ryanair is a business. If there's going to be in the new year, uh, if there's going to be customers who want to fly when we have a vaccine and we leave all of this behind, Ryanair will come back. They're a business at the end of the day, but it's described in Cork as a body blow. Ryanair grounds all flights out of Cork for at least four weeks, according to their chief executive. In fact, we now just have two routes out of Cork Airport, to Heathrow and to Amsterdam. Both of them operated by Aer Lingus and KLM, and that's it. And that's the way it's going to be uh, with regards to between now and early December. Just two routes, Heathrow uh, and Amsterdam. But there is good news. Tesco are hiring. Um, when you add it all up between full-time and seasonal jobs, they're hiring 1,150 staff members. So in one way, uh, that's an optimistic piece of good news. Mind you, it is news uh, of a multiple, a huge international multiple hiring, which is great. But we got a feel for the smaller businesses that are closed. And if you can click and collect any of the local businesses in Cork, please do so. And then big news, of course, for Douglas, because on the 12th of November... Hearts are fluttering out there with excitement. Douglas Shopping Centre will reopen again. So another bit of optimistic good news for you. The Neil Prenderville Show. Talking yesterday about the um, spate of pumpkin theft. So people are stealing pumpkins from front doorways and porches, but they're also just going around and smashing them. And there's another story with regards to increases in crime over the year, and that is bicycle te- theft. It's up a quarter, 25%. Theft of bicycles, bicycles in Cork has risen by nearly 25% in the first eight months of this year. I suppose people are robbing bikes to then sell them on secondhand because it's hard to get bikes. It certainly was during lockdown. But I just love this story. You know, you talk about sport and I'll talk a little bit more about Cork City later on this morning. But there's a study uh, or research out this morning from golfsupport.com. So what they did was they wanted to look 
at what sport got you hired fastest? You know, w- with regards to what sport on your resume gets you an interview and gets you a job fastest, faster than any other sport. And apparently, if you thought it was rugby, you're wrong. It's actually tennis. So reports suggest that playing a sport can increase your chances of landing a job. Um, and they then worked out, well, what sport is the most common amongst people who are being hired? So first is tennis. Second is golf. Third is boxing. Fourth is rugby. Then netball, basketball, and then it's followed by soccer. And then cricket, hockey, and squash. You would have thought that rugby would have been the first, wouldn't you? And perhaps golf would have been second. And maybe uh, tennis then. But tennis is number one. Golf is second. Boxing third. And rugby fourth. So that's the one, they say. Those surveyed were asked, uh, you know, um, when you hired, did you look at people's, uh, you know, sporting activity or sporting interests? Yes. And which ones did you look at most favorably? They said first tennis, they said second golf, they said third boxing, and fourth rugby. I can kind of understand golf, and you could even understand golf being number one, because you could see the scenario down, say, for instance, at Cork Golf Club, down Cork Golf Club, the island, or even down in Fota, uh, where where Michael is playing golf with John, and Michael says, John, uh, Michael Jr. is qualifying. He's graduating um, next month. I wonder, would there be any start? He's a great motivator. He's a great motivated young fellow. Would you have any start in you know, conversations like that? You could hardly have that across. You might across a tennis net. Maybe you might even have a conversation like that in a boxing ring, but not quite the same. So you think that golf would be number one, or even rugby number one and golf second. But your thoughts on that, um, text 0868104106. What job is the best one? Uh, what sport is the best one to land for yourself a job? Lines open then, text 0868104106. Halloween is this weekend, so I need to start ramping up Halloween today and certainly tomorrow. Because I've taken ownership of a lot of Halloween giveaway gifts. And thank you to many uh, Cork businesses who uh, advertise and uh, and support Cork's Red FM. So for Halloween, right, for Halloween stories uh, and spooky stories, we want to be scared today and certainly tomorrow. We have for you takeaway food vouchers that will feed a whole gangload of you from the Cork International Hotel. We have jewellery vouchers from Azure. We have, um, that would be bracelets and East End earring sets. And we have sterling silver, silver earring, all from Azure. And uh, we also have 100 Oak Fire pizza vouchers for hot piping pizza to give away as well. So start thinking about ghostly, spooky stories, lads. Uh, particularly involving things that may have happened in your life. Text 0868104106 on that or email neil at redfm.ie. If I share the stories or you come on air and tell them, there are prizes galore today and tomorrow. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Actually, hurling in football was always a great uh, opportunity to get a good job years back, particularly if you played for the Cork team, particularly if you had medals, particularly if you won All-Irelands. Um, you know, they were much sought after, particularly in the banks, particularly working down the mall. Anyway, one 104 106 You can text 0868 
and if those weren't enough prizes for you we also have the Tom Durkin uh, hamper boxes that will feed two people for the entire week uh, from tomdurkinmeets.ie more details on that across the morning uh, can I also uh, just mention um, that uh, you remember Darren do you remember Darren, who was on the air last week? He was a lovely guy, motivated in his own right. He's a busker, and musicians have no work at the moment, nor have actors. Uh, but uh, he was wondering whether it would be okay to go out and do a bit of busking. And the general consensus from all of us, you guys out there as well, is that he should get out there and busk away and play his few tunes. And I said to him, listen, if you have a song that you've written yourself, and you can record it or get it to me, then I'm happy to play it on the air if it's good enough. Uh, and he sent me a song. He sent me uh, a, cop- a number that he wrote himself called Me Old Trombone. And we're going to play out this morning with Darren the Cork Busker with his own number called Me Old Trombone, um, as I promised that I would. So happy to deliver on that. And good morning to you, Darren. I hope you're looking forward to hearing your own song on the air a little later on uh, this morning. But a um, bit of sad news. Uh, you know, the way many, many businesses have had to had to close, hopefully, temporarily, and that they will come back again after a period of time. And you know how many hairdressers and hair salons shut their doors and and were very unhappy to do so, considering that they worked so hard. I know that Pamela Morrissey's been front and centre at Sobe Brown talking about hairdressers and all of the precautions and all of the measures that they put in to keep their clients safe. And it's as much about, you know, social interaction, um, your psychological health, your mental health, as as it is about your hair. Or indeed, I suppose, maybe to a lesser extent, your makeup, but, cer- but certainly your hair. But, but sad news this morning uh, that after 12 years in business, very, very popular uh, hair salon on uh, McCurtain Street has decided to close its doors and not reopen. And that's Vanity Hair. I'm joined by one of the uh, co-owners of that, uh, David Babington by phone. David, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Are, are you saying that that even when this is over, because you're hugely popular and your salon yeah. is, is very much sought after, that even when this is over, you've done the numbers and you can't come back? Yeah, yeah. Basically, like myself and my husband, Pete, we have taken everything into consideration. As he said, we've been open for 12 years in the city, a very thriving, successful business we've had up until March of this year. When we went back after the first lockdown um, with the restrictions, yeah, we were steady. Things were going OK. But with the lack of numbers, the, you know, clients equals equals dollar signs at the end of the day. And if you're bringing in half of your takings at the end of every week, at the end of every month and the bills stay the same, it's going to have a huge effect. We were going okay. We were just, you know, plodding along, but we weren't able to sustain the, the, the income that we were used to. Having a big salon in the city centre, you're going to have to bring in a huge amount of cash every week to keep that going with staff, with rates, with rents, with colour bills, electricity, you name it. You know, they stay the same. Yes, the government did step in and they helped with um, some part of that, but that can only go so far. Yeah. And But, you know, the goal was to keep going. We didn't have it in our heads that we're, you know, going to close down we, we were we were, were going to work our asses off pardon my language but keep going but then with the announcement of the second um lockdown we thought where are we going to be in six weeks time are we going to be going back in for the busiest time of the year in the hairdressing industry working crazy for three to four weeks yeah. just to make money to just pay pay the debt that will be racked up because the bills are not going anywhere and we thought what's going to happen come January, February, which is the quietest time in the hairdressing industry, will we'll be just absolutely dead like a morgue and not being able to sustain anything. It's just, it's it's awful. Um, it's just never been the same when we went back in. It's 
just everything just felt so different. So did you have to sit down, have a conversation with Michelle, yeah. Paula, Pamela, Anya, Amy, Dean, Liz and Stephen? Well, first of all, myself and PJ, just, you know, we obviously had the chat ourselves behind behind closed doors and told what's the best thing for our, our family to move forward. Um, and it just it just didn't make sense anymore. We just physically couldn't. The cash wasn't there. And myself and PJ said that if it starts to bleed money, then we walk away from it. Because like I said, we had a thriving business and we yeah. were very successful yeah. until all this happened. And we just feel that, you know, with the constant, constant uncertainty, um, how can we move forward? We don't want to be getting in debt of, of taking out bank loans to cover staff wages and stuff like that. We just physically and emotionally are not willing to, to, to do that. But did the pop payments not kick in for everybody, you know? Well, they did, like I said, that they did help out in yeah. that, but there's still, there's still, there's still uh, the bills, like, you know, like I said, because we're down 50% every month, the bills, yes, the government are providing a, a certain amount. Yeah. yeah. But who's paying her colour? Who's paying her electricity? Who's paying her, hing- her heating or water or, or rent, you know? It's yeah. just, it's just. It's 50% of the business at least is gone because of the physical yeah. distancing within salons. And how, how do you feel about that, considering that many people would deem it as being as, an, as much an essential as an offer? license to remain open yeah like we we went through every protocol and did everything that was expected of us we rang the salon extremely clinical you know we did we had all the ppe and um, we did everything it was i mike i felt that it was a safe environment um but what can we do you know this this decision was forced on us and it's not like we can just go in and open up and do what we're not supposed to do where we abided by every rule and regulation but it's 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 like it's against us, you know. Everything is against us at the moment, and I think the hairdressing industry has been really crippled from it. Do you think that we'll hear of more cases like yours in the weeks and months to come? Then I I, I hope not. I really hope not. But I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I think it's the larger salons are the ones that will will falter. Smaller, maybe local salons with less overheads and less staff. I think they're the ones that yeah. will be able to sustain this. Yeah. But I think the bigger salons, like what we've had, like I said. You know, we're in the heart of the city. McCartan Street is a booming, has been a booming place before this happened, you know. And um, unfortunately, you know, like I said, the rents are very high. And I think smaller salons should be OK. But, you know, I, I, I know many hairdressers in the city and many of them are telling, you know, we're chatting and stuff like that. And they're telling us they're experiencing same difficulties and stress and on, on constantly uh, fear of what's going to happen, what's, what's the future going to come. Well, our thoughts are with you and PJ and also the staff, because this is not a good time. No time is a good time. But, you know, we're almost into November now and heading into Christmas and, and things like that. It's not a good time to be losing a job. No, it's horrible. Like, Sunday was the day that we called our staff and, you know, they're with us for a very long time and I'm getting emotional talking about it now. It was just so hard making that that call to them telling them that we can't do it anymore because part of you feels like a failure and, and myself and PJ, PJ has spent from Sunday up until last night calling our clients we've hundreds and hundreds of clients yeah. of loyal clients that are coming to us for many years and you know it was just such sad it's, it's just sad it's overwhelming sadness to to hear people crying on the phone getting upset because you know that you're not going to see these people again and but you will surely again. though in another yeah. time yeah I mean well, you're not going to stop no, we're not going to stop. The aim for myself and PJ, like I just said, I expressed saying that I think local um, salons will, will benefit, you know, during these times because people are, you know, they support more local. And the aim for myself and PJ at the moment to move forward is to open up. We're living in Donnerail is to open up a small salon with maybe 
flew to three seats inside there and just work from there ourselves, not have the big overheads, not have the staff, the huge rates, etc. But um, unfortunately, what us, you know, we we our space in the city is that we will lose a huge amount of our clients because they're probably a not able to travel to Donnerail, not know. willing to travel to Donnerail. Fingers crossed, some of them will come, but it's a sad day because you know we 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 didn't get closure with our staff when we left when we closed the door last last Wednesday. We genuinely thought that we'd be going back in there in six weeks, and we did. We spent three to four to five days of really brainstorming and how can we do this but Where you're a realist and the numbers just weren't adding up will your team get will your team get work do you hope I, I pray I pray they will I think like I said Christmas will come um, salons will be busy with restrictions obviously in place um, but I'm praying that they will they will get work um, and it's just, it's a horrible feeling for us to have to do that after all of those years and the way we felt like we kind of have no closure and really it's just taken from us it's you know um, we wish the money was there we wish that when we went back after the first lockdown that um, the, the figures were adding up but they just weren't news they weren't and it's, it's, it's really sad 12 years in business thriving business we never thought that this would happen and we only relocated to McCartan Street uh, two and a half years ago we were in Washington prior to that and we needed a bigger salon mm. that's the, the craziness we needed a bigger salon because we, we the, the other place is too small mm. and here we are now two and a half years locking the doors permanently it's really sad it's, we never saw it coming I know I know it's an upsetting time for you and for your husband and indeed all of your staff so I do appreciate you coming on the air this morning when it's still raw and still hurts yeah all the Thank best, you. David. Thank you so much for taking the call. Good can luck I for 2021. Quickly, can, I, can I just very quickly just say thank you to all our team that has worked for us over the of years. Course. And thank you to all the very, very loyal clients. I hope I see you again. And it's uh, not goodbye. I know, my thank friend. You. Look after yourself. Okay, Take care. You. Obviously very emotional and upset because he's put his heart and soul into the business. David Babington. Um, he's on Instagram, guys. If you don't follow him, he's a good guy. Material boy on Instagram. Co-owner of Vanity Hair which is closed on McCurtain Street. And that could be indicative of other salons who just perhaps will sit down, look at the numbers, and it won't make sense. Lines are open at one 106 Text 0868-104-106. I want to check back in again uh, with uh, Joan McDermott because we spoke last week at length. And in fact, my conversation with Joan and her experiences uh, with regards to Besborough prompted a lot of other people to share their stories both on the air and indeed by email and I read them on the air and I have more to read uh, but again this is another example don't kid yourself this is an example of people power that has come, gone some way to at least get the government to reverse uh, some of their positions with regards to uh, survivors of mother or baby homes accessing their personal records um, and if people had just sat down and done nothing about this, then for 30 years, all of these files would have been sealed. Um, but it, I don't know whether it's actually gone far enough. Let's find out if Joan agrees or disagrees with me. She joins me by phone. Joan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thank you for holding. What, what, does, this actually, what does this actually mean now? Well, Neil, I got in the report at one o'clock this morning when I was in bed. And when your uh, Brenda rung me this morning, I just flicked right through it. But... And I haven't read it in its entirety or digested it. But my initial reaction is that it's a welcome announcement from the government. Um, yesterday, um, I'm, uh, sorry, I'm losing my train let of me just Let yeah. me just clarify one thing. When you say you got the report, did you get the tribunal report? No, 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 no. I got um, a report from one of the established groups. 
um, with regards to what the announcement Oh, was, okay, uh, because the, the actual records run to about 12,000 pages, so... Oh, yeah, no, yeah. no, I, I, have, I, I wouldn't uh, have any access to that as yet. So what will but, it, what will it mean under GDPR, you have, you are allowed, you have the right to access your own file only, isn't it? Yes, my own file only. But I did hear the minister this morning making um, an announcement that there'll be two aspects to how you apply for that. You can apply direct to the minister's office. This is my interpretation of it. To his office. And there'll be two stages to that. You'll have to be approved by somebody um, in his office. Um to access the records but there's not enough clarity on that yet but but, the, but you but but you will be the only person that will be able to see your own contribution to the yes, tribunal yes. not anybody else's and say no. for instance the public will never be able to hear or see what went on in mother and baby homes not no you're right um, however, um, in his statement yesterday, um, he did say that uh, there would be a national archive where those records, um, uh, the uh, reports from the commission would be housed. But the individual records of what I, uh, information of uh, when I went into Besborough and when I was uh, left it and the birth of my son, that's only personal to me and so that information would be um, retained in the minister's office. But do you believe that you and others, either mothers or babies, and the general public should actually have the right to read everybody's story? Um, including, well, including, yeah. including, I have to say, um, accounts that were given by um, other people who worked and you know ran these homes who gave that evidence and confidence? Uh, mm. You see, the, the way I, I looked at it, for argument's sake, Neil, if the National Archive records, if, if the information was sent there, this, um, the world, right now, where did I read about it? That would be a historical... Uh, forum for people to go in and, and look at the historical records that were deposited there. You now, think that the, you go, think that are that's going to be anonymized? I don't know. Okay, okay. And um, so what I'm trying to determine is: do the yeah, public have the right? Do the, do the public have the right to hear everybody's stories, everybody's uh, personal records? Um, uh, just, just I don't know, by, like, for instance, when you get your information, will you be able to share it with others, you know? If I, 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 if I wanted to. If you so choose, uh, yeah. If, if I wanted to. But as I said, Neil, I, I haven't got full clarity on it yet, but what I did get from what the Minister stated yesterday, that in terms of the GDPR... Your own personal record, that's all. Yes, yeah. but they now, the government now recognises uh, that the existing EU law requires the Irish state to move away from its respective habits of secrecy. But locking something away for 30 years surely is trying to engage in secrecy and burying a scandal, no? Oh, I, I absolutely agree with it. But I think what he was saying and what the information that I got, this was pertaining to the 
the GDPR was uh, pertaining to those people that wanted access to their records. To their own records. To the general, their own records, yeah. as opposed to the general public. But, you know, Neil, maybe in, in days to come when I get a, a more clarity and read it in its entirety, because at the moment I don't feel that I have sufficient yeah. information yeah. about okay. it. Okay. But it certainly was a breakthrough insofar as that the government did admit that they got it wrong. Okay. And I'll also have to say, Neil, that as you mentioned there earlier about people power, I mean, you know, everybody in the state, a lot of people in the state and far, further afield got behind us um, really to stop um, these continuing abuses to us. And for that, I am very grateful. Okay. And the government, and, and, and you know, I think it was very, um, the minister did say yesterday that he did get it wrong and he had to admit it and caused unnecessary uh, stress to many of us last yeah, week. Yeah, but has it gone far enough? That's the point. We'll have to wait and see. Well, but we'll have to wait because, it, as I said, Neil, it's not even 24 hours old yet, do you, do you understand? And I haven't um, liaised with any of the other established groups that I work with. I know. I was just um, wondering whether or not there was an appetite for, you know, everybody involved to have everything published uh, many times around the world where there's a tribunal of inquiry it's published in yes. book form and people can request it or buy it um, but is it too personal for the general public to be reading it? Yes, I, 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 I wonder uh, um, I mean it is quite shocking yeah. and I wonder as you said would the people have an interest in that in years. You know the vaccine you know. trials for ba- that were conducted on babies, the selling yeah. of the selling of babies for money, whether it was to the UK, Ireland, or America, the yeah. advertising of the babies in American newspapers. It's horrific, you know. Oh, it's absolutely shocking, and um, you know this is what we're just speculating at the moment that the sixth interim report that the minister hasn't released as yet. Um, a lot of people are hoping that there's some information regarding the vaccine trials will be in that report. Okay, okay. Um, I'll, give, I'll give you some time then and come back when you've had an opportunity to digest it and yes. perhaps talk to yes. others involved in this. Yes, down yes the years. because as okay. I said, Neil, this only came in this morning. You're grand, and, uh, you're grand. But thanks all the same the for taking the call. We covered a lot all of right, Neil. Thanks, Joan. Cheers. Okay, thanks. Joan bye, McDermott, bye. who gave birth there. Uh, many years back. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. People do want to help in spite of everything else that's going on. I'm a parent of two kids with one wage coming in at this hard time, but I want to put it out there uh, for parents in need of Santi gifts. Uh, I'd like to put myself forward to buy a gift for a child in need. I don't want my name or where I am to be notified, notified but as a mother, I want to help someone as we were to have a communion party this year, which didn't happen, but with the money I saved the year before, I'd like to help a parent or a child get their gift if I can. It's just an example, guys, really. It's a lovely email. She says, I'd just like to help a family in need. I'd like to give back for all the good things that have happened to me. I wonder, are there others, other people who are like-minded? Uh, and if so, perhaps we might open a file on that with regards to texts and emails of people who would like to get on board and buy a Christmas gift uh, in the coming weeks for a family or a child in need. Now, Santa Claus is working away up in the North Pole. We all know that. But think about that if you want to get on board also. Uh, I've recently moved back in with my parents, uh, saving for a mortgage with my partner and son. Um, my parents have been so good to us and helped us move stress-free. I'd be lost without them. All of this, of course, because of uh, because of COVID and you know trying to save for, for a mortgage. Our eight-year-old son will have a different take on Halloween this year. We will try to go back to the old party games. Apples in buckets of water. 
trying to catch a coin or an apple on a string. We hope we don't crack a tooth. There you'll be grand. Uh, we'll do a Halloween chocolate hunt in our own garden and maybe do trick-or-treating indoors, um, which is a great idea, incidentally. Mostly, we will all be together, and that's what's important during these difficult times. Keep safe and all the best, says Sarah, who also, if you don't ask, you don't get, was wondering whether or not she could have a voucher for an oak fire pizza because it would really make the Halloween party complete. So that's certainly doable. And then a lot of other texts then. Why are certain supermarkets allowed to send non-essential uh, goods? They're in clear breach of the rules while shops and towns have to close. I see taxi drivers are complaining about customers not wearing masks in their taxis. Surely the government has to do something to stop that carry-on. I know of a taxi base in the city taking people to the COVID testing centre to get tested. Is that right? People going by taxi? What happens to the driver and their family and the subsequent passengers if someone tests positive? The driver and all in contact with them will have to self-isolate and get the army are taking people to the test centres. Um, so folks can uh, maybe use that opportunity or if you call the test centre and you haven't got transport, they will set it up for you. Um, and then uh, a lot of different emails on people reacting to conversations that we've had on air of late, including this one. I've been listening to your show today. Quite frankly, I'm astounded by the opinions of some of your listeners. I understand that children and teenagers' lives have been impacted hugely. But as a teacher, uh, I can tell you I'm more cognizant of this than most. So much has been done to ensure that their needs are being met. And perhaps we need to remember why we must adapt our behavior because of this pandemic. We're blessed to have so much technology and why not have virtual trick-or-treat parties with friends and families? The snap apple games and the fruit in the bowl of old were great fun. Surely all of that could be done in your own home. Children are out in playgrounds every day. Surely they could dress up while playing and return home for a new party, games and barmbrack and even a Halloween movie. But well, we got to stay safe and remember this is only a small sacrifice, Halloween, in the larger scheme of things. If schools are to remain open um, after midterm, we must follow the guidelines. Uh, at the risk of sounding like Scrooge, it just it isn't just about the children, it's about all of us. Uh, we're living in unprecedented times, but this will pass. A lot of people suggesting, and this email as well, that we need to go back to the old-fashioned Halloweens. Um, but unfortunately, even the old-fashioned Halloween involved running around. We didn't call it trick-or-treating back then. We just simply called it knocking on doors saying, have you anything for Halloween? Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. Okay, uh, I was sent a, a piece of audio that I can't broadcast because um, it is against the law to broadcast it, although uh, the Garda Shikona um, were involved in this piece of audio. It was a conversation that was sent allegedly between a member of the public and a member of the Garda Shikona regarding an allegation uh, in McCroom that there are um, apparently, it's alleged anyway, uh, members of the asylum seeker community who are living in McCroom engaging in uh, prostitution. It's it's quite serious. So I was sent that audio clip, I believe it may well be circulating, making that allegation and others like it. Um, it's, um, it's, it's kind of sad and worrying on a lot of different levels, um, you know, uh, with regards to women uh, who would be in, say, for instance, the McCroom um, uh, center uh, being forced to perhaps or maybe it's it's because of uh, lack of money or you know trying to trying to survive but I don't even know if it is true or not now the audio clip that I heard uh, the guard unit and I won't go into detail because you know clearly this is um, uh, guarded information but it did it did give me the impression that the guards were aware 
uh, of something happening in the McCroom area. Um, Sheila is administrator of the McCroom Friends of Asylum Seekers Facebook page and I asked her to take a look into this uh, on our behalf and she joins me by phone. Sheila, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Any truth in this? Absolutely not. No. Not at all? None? Not at all, no. And, you know, I think anyone who has taken the time to get to know the people who live in the hotel would know this is complete nonsense. Okay. It's this just kind of stuff comes from people who um, have made absolutely no time to build a relationship with uh, the residents in the hotel and who don't know them personally. And anyone who knows them personally knows this is nonsense. Because it would be a terrible thing if it were true and they, and they were being forced into doing this because of lack of money to support themselves or their children or whatever the case may be, right? Of course it would be. Yeah. These are vulnerable people, you know, who've come from terrible situations and you'd hate the idea that um, that they were being in some way, you know, used or abused like this. But um, these women, I obviously know them personally and I'm good friends with them yeah. and they're horrified even at the suggestion. At the suggestion. Now, the Gardaí did say the Gardaí are currently making inquiries into the allegation made in relation to suspected prostitution in McCroom, but they're still at very early stages of these inquiries. And very interestingly said, we are unaware of any incidents of public indecency in recent times. So that backs up what you're saying. Yeah. So of what I, what I'd like to and know is why would somebody want to make the, why would somebody want to go out of their way, call the guards, make all of these claims if they're lying? Um, I think because some people in society dehumanize asylum seekers. They don't see them as people, you know, families, women, children, and they see them more as, as some kind of hot topic issue that they can use to further an agenda. But these are people, you know, and, and creating this sort of um, audio and sending it around excuse me, is essentially dehumanising people and it's shocking behaviour. It's racism then, isn't it? Absolutely and if you heard, I mean I I did listen to the audio once and I could never again but the language used is, is incredibly racist. Uh, is is What are conditions like within that, within that hotel? I'm assuming you've been around it. Yeah, I mean it's a, the direct provision system isn't ideal ever. Um, it, it's not fit for purpose. It doesn't work. You have families living in hotel rooms. But as direct provision centres go, the the manager in McCroom is um, he's great and he does his level best in a difficult situation. And uh, all the people are wonderful and they do their best to get along and they have integrated into the community and they do tidy towns and they volunteer for Vincent de Paul and they do events with us all the time. And was so, there ever any pushback in McCroom against the direct provision centre or those that came to live in it? In the very beginning when it was announced, I think there was a very small cohort of people. Again, not considering the fact that these are families, children, just the idea of it they were pushing back against. But I think 99.9% of people in town have realised that these are lovely families, their children are going to school, they're, you know, getting on great and it's been a real success. Yes, okay, okay. And uh, are they finding it very difficult now in the confined spaces in which they're living in because of, you know, COVID restrictions and level five and what have you? Oh, of course. I mean, we all are, you know, but it's 10 times worse if you're in a hotel room with your whole family. But you know what? Everybody just has to do their bit and get on with it and that's what these people are doing, they understand has to be done and we'll all just do our best. Okay, so this allegation that um, girls 
and young women are running out of the direct provision centre hotel across the road and jumping into cork cars with men is nonsense and untrue. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Okay. And right. it's it's been damaging for the women and their children who are hearing, you know, the way kids will be kids and, and make a joke about it and these children are they, are, are they aware here. are they aware that this story is, is circulating? Of course they are. We all have the internet, you know. Yeah. Um, uh. and imagine how damaging that is. Imagine trying to have to explain to your children. Mm. So I mean I I don't think the uh, person who made this recording and the people who maybe think it's a funny piece of gossip to spread around, I think they're forgetting that these are human beings, you know? Okay. We asked the person who made the phone call on air. We did speak to her off air on Tuesday, but uh, um, she is now not answering her phone. Uh, so we'll see if it's possible in the future. But you, you would prefer this just to be put to bed um, and called out as it is untrue. Absolutely. Okay. And for people to have a bit of cop on and a bit of empathy, you know, and realize just the damage that they're doing by what they might think is just... No, I was, I was, just, I was just worried that maybe women were being forced into having to do things like this um, for money because they were feeling the pain, you know, financially. And that's the reason I wanted to see if, it was any, if there was any truth in it or not. You're saying categorically not. No, I mean, I'm sure it happens. But in McCroom, these... Women have great support. They can come to us if they need anything. And, you know, we all have a great relationship and do our best to help each other out. Okay. Thank you for taking the call, Sheila. Appreciate it. Um, much Thank obliged. That's Sheila, administrator of the McCroom Friends of Asylum Seekers Facebook page. Um, text says, everyone knows what's going on in McCroom. The cars stop across the road. Um, it's called park and ride down here, says Tom. Again, is you know, I mean... I, is that hearsay? You know what I mean? Have you seen it with your own two eyes? Like, you know what I mean? You know the way stories circulate? Anyway, um, we'll come back on that if there is an update and indeed if I can get to talk to whomever was behind making the call to the Gardaí in the first place. Mind you, if you have information on it, do share. You know, it's a difficult time um, and I got an email in saying I'd have more respect for people if they came out and just said they didn't care. Uh, particularly about not caring about the sick or the elderly, rather than trying to dress it up as being compassionate. You know, which which lives matter most is a big debate that's going on at the moment. You had somebody on yesterday's show who should take a brief look at the news and the situations in France, Italy, Belgium and Germany at the moment, where hospitals are completely overrun. Preventable deaths from all causes will skyrocket if there are no ICU beds. Why don't people understand that? We're not the only country embracing a stringent lockdown. Death rates were low in level three because the age profile of those getting the virus was younger. But if it keeps spreading, it'll spread to the old and the vulnerable again. And the skyrocketing deaths will come back again. Uh, I wonder, will that person who on the air be so callous if another pandemic strikes when they're the wrong age? Or if they ever watch someone die from a respiratory disease? I have, and I can tell you the death is horrific. People should get some perspective and not wanting to turn society into the Hunger Games because they deem themselves above guidelines everyone is expected to follow. It's the argument from yesterday's program that somebody was making as to somebody who was old and dying and somebody who was young 
and allowed to get on with their lives. Busy morning this morning, covering an awful lot of different aspects of uh, stories in your lives and what have you. And they're not all COVID-related. Some of them, of course, have to do with the issues here in Cork. And we spoke of Mount Cara and we spoke of other issues like that. And in the past few days, of course, the story has been rumbling on regarding Cork City Football Club. Of course, they were recently relegated out of the uh, Premier League. Uh, but they've come... Um, a long way in the past, uh, certainly in the past 10 years since the, when the fans bought the club. But um, there's been another purchase overnight. And for us, these are the supporters who own the club, uh, had to make a kind of a bittersweet decision last night to sell it. And Colm O'Sullivan joins me in studio. What, what's going on? Um, I suppose, Neil, if we, if we kind of go through the last 10 years, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, if you cast your mind back to 10 years ago, I know you dealt with it on the air Yeah, a lot. we all bought shares back you know, then. And exactly. And um, it was to take the club out of private ownership and to save it from from going out of his existence, basically. It was after Tom Collin had an ownership and Arcasia before that as well. And they were unhappy times for the club. The club went into examinership. Um, it had issues in the court, huge financial issues. Very, very nearly went to the wall. Forrest stepped in at the last minute. Seven or eight hundred people in Cork bought membership at the time. And all in invested their money and the club got back up and running in the first division got promoted from the first division had um, a wonderful time appointed John Caulfield as manager had a wonderful five years in that period um, they were in the top two every year they had four cup finals in a row two FEI cups the club's only ever league and cup double and that league and cup double Neil was just three years ago and in the last two years since then what happened? Um, everything has kind of gradually gone downhill John Caulfield was sacked as manager the club ran into huge financial difficulty crowds started to drop performances on the pitch weren't good enough and, and if performances aren't good enough do crowds drop off? crowds drop off yeah. and with a fans model like Forrest you're reliant on the income from crowds and you're reliant on local sponsorship and people coming in to see the games whereas other clubs in Ireland the likes of Dundalk Shamrock Rovers have wealthy backers who pump money in Dundalk's owners are American guys they're pumping millions and millions in uh, every year without any real massive return on it so that's why I think it came to this and um, it came to this about six months ago that the club made contact with Trevor Hemmings and Grovemore Limited he owns Preston North End in the UK this guy is a billionaire he's worth a fortune but he does have core connections Neil he does he owns Trebolgan and he has Irish stud farms he's yes. a, not a millionaire no, a billionaire a billionaire so, so that's a crucial element here he, he bought Cork City he bought Cork City last night I was how much at, I was at the virtual meeting last night a euro so it's a euro plus liabilities but he's already put some money in so he's already given the club 600,000 uh, back in February to get the club up and running for this season they needed that money to get a licence this season and with that 600,000 that bought him a call option to buy Cork City why so does he want to buy it? he wants to buy it he says he wants to buy it because he's such a huge interest in football because he has connections to Cork he has business interests in Cork as we said Trevolgan Holiday Village Stud Farms and he says that he spent a lot of childhood summers in Cork and he wanted to see Cork City Football Club thrive he didn't want to see any football club go out of business and certainly in a town that he's got a connection with um, Preston are a big club in, in the UK Neil they've signed a lot of players from Cork City in recent years the likes of Shawnee Maguire Kevin O'Connor Alan Brown quite a few more over the years and and, um, yeah, but that's all outgoing traffic from Cork. Is, Are we is, expecting incoming traffic with his purse? We don't know will players come from Preston, but I, I think it's more will financial. Will he buy players? I think he will buy players. I'm going to tell you a few of the things they said in their statement last night, Neil, because before last night's meeting, and I spoke about this on air myself and Rory on Sunday on the Big Red Bench, we weren't quite sold on it because there was an information meeting last week and Grovemore hadn't given a statement. They hadn't declared any intentions and we kind of felt that might be a little bit disrespectful. But in fairness, they came last night and they issued a statement, a lot of which sounds impressive. Um, 
Um, so let, let's do a little bit of it. A key part of their ambition, Neil, they said, is to finalise talks with the Munster Football Association to secure a freehold interest or perhaps even buy Turner's Cross where Cork City have traditionally ho- uh, held their home games. And they think it's key to tie the stadium to the football club, um, which, which, is a, which is a good idea, I think. Hemings wants to buy Turner's Cross. He wants to buy Turner's Cross. Wow. So, I mean, that, 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 that's a big statement of intent straight away. Now, whether the Munster Football Association have any interest in selling it is another matter What entirely. would the figure be? I have no idea. It's, it's prime real estate land down there, I suppose. It's a big site. Um, you're talking millions. There would be no issue involving buying it and uh, then owning it and somewhere down the track turning it into housing or you anything. See, that, 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 that's <laughs> an issue as well. Now, I did read somewhere during the week that, that Turner's Cross is designated for sporting use, but I'm not sure if that's okay. correct. I wonder right. if there's anyone listening know oh, that. No, but I mean, let's, let's yeah. assume that he's genuine, shall we? Okay, yeah, we have so, to assume. Okay. We have to assume at this stage that he's genuine, Neil. So there's the stadium is one thing. Then they said they don't want to make any unrealistic promises. We've had owners in the past who've come in made ridiculous promises that they were never able to back up. So they've said that they, they want to um, make the, the club successful. They want to bring the club back up to the Premier Division, unfortunately relegated um, last last week. So they want to bring them straight back up, want to get back into Europe the following year. Uh, they want to compete at the highest level of professional football and they're willing to put in the financial backing for that. Um, they've also said they want to contribute to the resources and backing in three key areas of the club. I'll give you the three key areas that they said last night in the statement. The human resources and personnel required, firstly, they want to finance to grow the football club to its full potential and maximise commercial and other income. So they, they, they'll keep on some of the existing staff, perhaps hire more staff in the off-the-field areas and make it a real professional operation like a lot of clubs in the UK are, Neil. Uh, secondly, they want to provide for the ne- necessary infrastructure to enhance the match day experience and the professional environment for players. You'd imagine this is investment in stadium and also in a training ground you'd hope as well and finally they want to provide the working capital to help the club compete each year through investment in the playing squad across the whole of the football club while still ensuring financial stability so it sounds great what they're saying is they're yeah okay they want to move it on but amongst that would of of course is there homegrown talent available or do you have to bring it in from outside you will have to bring some in from outside so they're going to spend they will spend so why and how are the forest members I, i heard that Somebody, Tony O'Donoghue said this yeah. morning that members voted but while holding their nose, meaning they didn't really want to, but they had to. Yeah, I think I think that was it because there was concerns that Forrest wouldn't get a license. I think for a lot of people, and we all felt a bit like this. I mean, this guy is going to bring money and everything, but everyone has a very real connection, a very a very close emotional connection. I think to Forrest over the last ten years, everyone likes the idea of Cork owning, owning it, it yeah. of everyone having I a share in themselves. That. You know, yeah. it's a cooperative yeah. and it's a local thing. And it's great when it's successful and it's great when it's there, but it's just unfortunately uh, it needs that extra money. And the ideal model for me, as I said on air at the weekend, would have been something like Shamrock Rovers have, where if this guy Hemmings was to come in and buy 50% and the sport is trusted 50%, that wasn't available. He, okay, wanted, well, he wanted all or nothing. And happen. they went 70, 69% to 31% in favour last night. And I think that statement swung it for, for, for the... For the pretty much 70-30. 70-30, yeah. pretty much. And yeah. so they're also doing all of this. This at a time when people can't go yeah, to think, watch soccer and matches. I think that was a crucial thing for next season, Neil, because people were saying, you know, we mightn't get the license for next season because with the FEI licensing system, you have to be able to prove that you'll be financially stable for the but year. But if you can't go and support your yeah, local you know, team. And some clubs, as I said, will have a backer to support them. Cork City don't have that financial backer up to now. Um, they need the money from crowds. If there's no crowds next season, you know the way things are going, Neil. I mean, it's quite possible we won't have thousands of people at a stadium even in 12 months' time. I know, we don't and know. added to that, of course, if that wasn't bad enough, you, you like the the glory days of Hibs and the glory days yeah. of Celtic and the glory days of Cork Athletic beforehand, they're all gone now, aren't they? 
they're all gone. They're long gone. Like, it's not it's not anybody's fault. It's to do with Sky and the yeah. Premier League and UEFA and, and yeah. Know. Like you're not going to, and you know this, Neil. Cork Hibs, Cork Celtic. Back in the day, you hear of crowds of twenty five, thirty thousand. people was there yeah. every single week down yeah. at Flower Lodge and so on. Um, that doesn't happen now. I mean, Cork City when they're successful, they do get big crowds, but those big crowds are six, seven, eight thousand people, and that's only in very successful times. I mean, the season just gone. Obviously, the early part of the season, there were crowds before the COVID shutdown. You're talking like a, a maximum of about 2,000 are coming to games when, when, when the club isn't successful. Um, it's like any sport. It's like the GA. It's like Munster Rugby. Irish people and Cork people in general lo- love a bit of success and love jumping on a bandwagon. And that's the same with sport the world over. And if you're reliant on your only income, your only major income being those crowds, then, I mean, you are leaving yourself open for if those crowds drop or if those crowds disappear or something like COVID happens you're financially very, very vulnerable. vulnerable. If you have, if you have yeah. a wealthy backer, you can Th- kind of offset that. That's the point in which we'll finish, actually. Yeah. Cork City now have a billionaire yes. in their camp. They do. They have Trevor Hemmings. He's a billionaire. A I billionaire. encourage people to, to research him and look him up um, and see what this guy's about. He does very much, Neil, sound like the real deal. As I said before, there have been guys. We know Tom Collin came in. We know Arcasia, who are also a UK investment group, but very, very shady. Nobody knew anything about them. This guy is known. This guy has uh, has business interests in Cork, as we said. He already owns a big football club in the UK. I think he's the real deal, and we can only hope he's the real deal. And his ambition is, next season, to get the players in, we don't know who the manager will be. Will he keep Colin Healy so on? So we need will to he, accentuate the positive yeah. then. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I think this is positive. I mean, there is a tinge of sadness and there is definitely a tinge that. of sadness yeah. because it's 10 years of wonderful ownership under Forrest, um, has, is coming to an end. Yeah. And I wonder I, how Moses feels about all of I this. I wonder how Moses feels and I hope he might call in about it today because I'd love <laughs> to hear Moses' views on it. But Neil, just to finish up, um, as I said, a wonderful 10 years under Forrest. Um, I hope Forrest continues in the background. I think it will. Um, I remember myself and, and I hope everyone keeps their memory because as we know things can go wrong and hopefully if things ever do go wrong hopefully they don't but Forrest would be there in the background to pick up the pieces again but for now it's Trevor Hemmings it's Grove Moore Limited and they're coming in they got to do their due diligence due diligence now and so on over the next uh, couple of days and weeks and hopefully they'll uh, take ownership and move things on over the next few weeks Okay my friend thanks for the background on that I didn't want the opportunity to pass without uh, at least covering it in some way shape or fashion accentuate the positive then there's a lot of money on the table here and it could make a difference it could make a huge difference Um, billionaire so that, that that's all we need to say a billionaire <laughs> there you go let's uh, watch this space for details going forward thank you Colin back after the break on 1850-104-106 this is the Neil Prenderville show tweet the show at Neil Red FM 104 to 106 Red FM. Ah, the teachers are at it again, Neil. The rest of the so-called essential workers have to get up and get out and get on with it. They have the best contact tracing system out of all of the people who are working, the teachers. They have the names and addresses of all the students. Unlike the rest of us who work in shops, who run into people from all walks of life and those who are on construction sites where social distancing is non-existent because of the nature of their work. The teachers should be going back to work and if not, they should get the COVID payment. Every year, uh, the teachers in the union representing the complain every single year. Get up and get on with it. P.S. Not all teachers want to sit at home but the minority and the union for them seem to be the biggest problem. Um, another one here. Tell the lady who had a go at teachers for their holidays to go to work in a school environment with special needs children having daily meltdowns, serious toileting issues and sometimes getting lashed in the face even by accident. Then tell her to go back on the air. Ignorance is bliss I can tell you. 
spare me the ignorant people. Uh, morning, the government treated our kids like vermin when this virus forced us into the first lockdown. Kids were told they were carriers of the virus and told to stay indoors, stay away from your granny and your granda. People are ringing and texting your show about kids who were out playing. Apparently now the kids are okay to be struck in a class with 30 others. Uh, on top of that, the cases now have started dropping since the kids are on midterm break and not because of this phony second lockdown. Bear in mind now that it takes some days to get a track on the numbers. It's like not, you know, today, yesterday's numbers are not from the day before. But since we went into level five, numbers are dropping. Of that, you can be sure. What in the name of God is wrong with people? A man opening a door for a woman is a beautiful gesture and very gentlemanly. This is from yesterday's is the age of chivalry dead conversations. I have two boys age nine and seven and teaching them this is part of growing up. I just think it's good manners and that's how we were brought up. It's just mannerly and the Irish way as an example to open a door for a woman. Morning, Neil. I open doors for women. I stand up when women join my group and I give up all seats for women. Why? Because my mother taught me to and I will always do it, says Paddy. Linda says, I love it when a man holds the door open for me. It's a lovely mannered gesture. It's like when a man stands back to let you pass on the pavement. Pavement even. I would rather have it that way than being stampeded into the ground to get to the door first or to be mown down on a path. Uh, I had an elderly gentleman offer me his seat in a waiting room while it was occupied by much younger men. I declined his kind offer as I'm younger than him and we were always rare to respect our elders. It all starts in the home. If the parents don't give the example, their children won't learn, says Linda. Well, is that an example of parents not giving a good example um, to their kids? Like the elderly man offered you his seat while younger men ignored you. Uh, Richie says, the same women who are fierce independent goddesses who don't need any help through life are the same women who gain from gender quotas. The next time we're all on the Titanic, so these purpled-haired tyrants can give up their seats in the lifeboat. To me, says Richie. Uh, I think the opening doors for women dates back to the Wild West. Back then, a woman would be sent out first in case there was a gunman waiting in the shadows. He might not shoot the first woman he saw. Is that where all of this... Really? That's makey uppy, right? That's makey uppy. My partner's English, Neil, and as much as I love Irishmen, Englishmen are much more chivalrous. Oh, there's a few days debate in that alone. English men are much more chivalrous. Hear that, Mark? Huh? Take a bow, kid. Um, a woman and I, I'm a woman, and I always hold the door, regardless of who's behind me. But I detest the silence. So I cheerily say, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. I would not do it in a sarcastic tone, but I do it to provoke a response. And then I'll say, sorry, I thought you said thanks to me. Hopefully they learn something and they'll treat the next courteous person they meet better rather than an obnoxious git. When my boys were four and six, I was in the queue in McDonald's and my boys went to the bathroom. A woman approached me asking, were these my boys? My heart sank, as you can imagine. Usually, there's only usually one reason why you get this question. But to my surprise, she wanted to let me know that they held the two doors leading back out from the toilet for her. One manned each one, and she thought their mother should know how nice she found it. I always thought uh, her actions was the most valuable lesson to the boys, as she made the two of them feel worthwhile. They're 21 and 19 now, and I still see them naturally step aside uh, and open doors as a matter of habit. And there's loads of these. If you haven't a penny in your pocket and you're that person who opens doors, you are very rich indeed. 
Manners cost nothing, but nothing, but their effects are priceless. It's nice and rare these days. I'm old school, and I'm only 44. On the subject of chivalry, many years ago, an older man opened the door for me in the bank. I was in my 20s, and I said, thank you, you're a gentleman. His beautiful reply was, it takes a lady to know a gentleman. This has stuck with me. He was a true gentleman. It's about respect, being mindful, and just being kind. Love the show. Other girls I know would agree with me. One final one. I feel women should embrace our feminine side and gracefully allow the act of chivalry. It is not showing weakness in women. It's rewarding our femininity. I think a man opening a door for a woman will always be a lovely thing. They, to me, are gentlemen. My late father was one of those, and I looked up to his values. There is a difference between a female and being a feminist, you know. The difference is the women who are extreme are not feminist. The women who are are extreme are feminazis. There's a big difference there, I'm sure. Um, okay, lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Keep those calls coming. Just with regards to uh, the sale of of Cork City Football Club, it's interesting that Trevor Hemmings wants to buy Turner's Cross. Is it for sale though? Uh, Andrew, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you what, what, what do you know of Turner's Cross itself as a venue? Well, Neil, I was involved in the Cork well youth in the Cork well junior soccer team, and I, I represented Cork as well for many years. And I remember a discussion that there was a, an Irish woman owned it. She emigrated to America and she died and it passed on in the will. Uh, her grandchildren have it. No, I think she was a grandson and a granddaughter. It was about 15, 20 years ago, Neil. And it could never be sold as for building or anything that like that. I had to stay as a soccer player. So all of that property, that huge big amount of real estate, could never be um, rezoned? Uh, houses built upon it anything like that yes to my knowledge you know with the conversation that we were having there back back that time Neil you know so a family yeah, own it and they rent it to whom rent it to the the, the, the FAI or the, probably the Munster Senior League Association and the Munster you know, Senior League Association then yeah. lease it lease to Cork it, City yeah, yeah. 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 all the finals to be played down there Neil from Tall Division up to the Premier League up to the Senior League and do you, you do you, could you put a price on it if, say, for instance, Hemmings was to put in an offer? What kind of money would you be talking about? Oh, Jesus, I wouldn't have a clue, Neil, but I hope it doesn't, you know, because it, it, it was always great for the finals, north side, south side, you know, from third division up to first division, you know, so I hope for Hemmings, you know, he's a good businessman, I hope he does well for Cox City, you know, and find a well, grassroots kind of way, you know, have a grassroots from nine or ten. And coach him up to, you know, if they get to the League of Ireland status. Well, he certainly has the money to do it, hasn't he? Yeah, there's plenty of good young fellas out there, Neil. I'm involved with Pierre Celtic myself. We started off um, uh, Academy six years ago. We've over 170 kids registered now. You know? But, uh, How are things uh, now at the moment, though? Are you guys able to train or play or anything? No, no, we stopped. We, we did, uh, The committee decided to stop, you know, just for the safety of everybody else, you know? So okay. we stopped ourselves, we took it upon ourselves. Okay, okay. That's the way it is. Okay. But, uh, I hope Tom is uh, listening. I hope he does well for Coxley. It's a good place. 
Well, it needs an injection for sure, doesn't it? Yeah. Two steps back need to go one step forward. Fair play to you. Okay. Well, hopefully one step back to go two steps forward. Yes, 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 yes. All right, Andrew, appreciate you taking the call. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Just finally, just a clarification on the actual property itself, Turner's Cross. Uh, Declan Carey is uh, the Cork City chairman, and he says, we rent the ground from the MFA um, and have no say whatever in whether it might or not be for sale to uh, Trevor Hemmings. But ultimately, the ground is zoned for football and sporting activity. That pitch will never have houses or apartments on it. And as long as that is the case, we envisage playing there forevermore, he said. Um, they rent the ground for the Munster Football Association. They have no say in whatever, uh, whether it may be for sale or not. Um, I guess the Munster Football Association rented from the family in America. Would they sell it? Even if they did, it's not zoned for housing. Um, lines open on all other business on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. And I have reams of different topics. Some really really strong emails actually. Uh, that I want to get on air, but it's Thursday, mid-morning, and of course, uh, I want to use as much of the time, uh, certainly tomorrow, but if possible at all today, to talk of matters Halloween, because it'll be a somewhat Halloween with a difference. But all of this really traces back to All Hallows' Eve, you know, when the world and Ireland is given over to spirits and ghosts and those that have gone before us who have an opportunity to come from the grave and come back from the other world for a period of time uh, to revisit the earth and to walk amongst us. And some will have the opportunity to meet them, others won't. I would love at some stage to uh, meet a ghost or a spirit or even an orb would do me bouncing around a room. But so far, ain't nothing happening in that regard. I get different smells and scent sometime. Uh, for many years, I used to get the scent and the smell of my grandfather's Mick McQuaid um, pipe tobacco. Um, and then for some time after my mother passed away, I would get the scent of her perfume um, in, in, in a room for, for no particular reason. When I would walk into a room, it would be there. Um, or I would be in a room and all of a sudden it would waft, waft over me. Some may say that is, um, that is a form of, of contact. Anyway, enough of me. Tracy, good morning. Morning, Neil. Did you, you ever experience anything like that? Or is it just me? Yeah, yeah, I would. I would. Um Perfume, my my nan's perfume. I can't remember the name of it, but I do remember the bottle. It was small, small little bottle, and it was a very old um, perfume. And you would, for no reason, all of a sudden get a waft of it. Yeah, and my brother says when he walks into my house, he gets the smell of my grandmother's house. And is it any wonder then, because you talked about your grandmother two or three times there? that you actually... Uh, tell me the story rather than me interrupting. What happened? So um, my mum was staying with me one night and um, I was asleep and um, she said she woke to me sitting up um, talking first. She heard me talking and when she came in um, to the room she said I was sitting up in the bed with my eyes open but I was having um, a conversation at the start. I was a bit frightened um, because um, she said I was very panicky and, and frightened um, but what had happened was um, I was going through a wild phase in, and getting into trouble. I was young. You were going through a bad time. You were young, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, just, my grandmother never, ever gave out to me. Not once. She wasn't the type of woman to do that. But, you know, um, so basically I was sitting in my front room 
uh, with my mom and my aunt, her sister, and um, I saw a shadow pass the door. Um, and it passed again, but when it passed, my grandmother walked into the room and I was sitting in between my mom's legs and she was flapping my hair and I leapt up off the floor um, and jumped into the corner of the couch. Um, I was terrified because I was saying, you can't be here, you're dead. You know, you've been dead for years and my mom and her sister were trying to calm me down and telling me to listen to my grandmother and what my grandmother had to say. Um, and she basically gave me a, a nice old doing and told me that, you know, I needed to cop myself on for my sake and for my family's sake and that the great things were coming. Forgive me now, there was one part of this conversation you said it was in a room and you hid behind a sofa, but earlier you said it was you were sitting up in bed. I was sitting up, this is, sorry, so my, when my mom came into the room, she saw me sitting up in bed with okay. my eyes open okay. talking, but in, in the dream, I was in my front room. Oh, I got you now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But I was like, it was like I was, I was, I knew it was happening. I knew she was, she wasn't supposed to be there. Um, and my mom said that you know, my eyes were wide open. She had heard my side of the conversation. Um, she, she she didn't want to wake me or anything, but she had heard my side of the conversation. But when I did speak to her, you know, afterwards about what had happened, it was it was very very weird, <laughs> very weird. You had no um, recollection of it, did you? No, I did. I did have full recollection. And of what it. did your grandma? What was the conversation? I mean, did, did you see her? Yeah, yeah, she was sitting on the couch next to me. But by, by the time I calmed down, um, myself, my grandmother, my mother, and my aunts, we were all, you know, having a conversation about, you know, how I had to cough myself on, um, and I had to, you know, had to stop basically what I was doing and and you know get you know do, do good with with my life and 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 I did. I what did, did you say her. back to her when she said all of this to you? I just, I think I cried, Neil. I think, you know, I think I cried and cried honest with her. I was, you know, apologizing, saying sorry and hugging her and telling her how much I loved her and how much I missed her. And, um, yeah, it was, it was nice. It was nice. It's nice to think back on now. But at the time, it was very, very strange. And did you turn your life around after that visit from oh, your dead granny? Yeah, oh, I did big time, big big time. Yeah, yeah, I did. Got my got my my ducks in a row, let's say, and and became better, became a better person for myself, and became a better person for. And it took my, her. It took her having to come back from the other side to put you straight. You believe? Yeah, yeah, because I wouldn't listen to anybody else. I wasn't listening to anybody else. I was kind of going off on a wild one, and and. You know, it was, it was just the timing of it and, and everything was, it was spot on. And tell me about your mum in the hospital. So my mum works in a hospital and um, she works on the catering site, but um, she, she, she was a bit spooked one day because she had um, this one particular patient and she said she was in her little kitchen one day and he came to the door um, after she had done her key round and... Um, she said that he came to the door saying that he had missed. She said when she went to his bed, all the curtains were pulled. She presumed the doctors were in with him. And she said after afterwards, when she went back to her kitchen, he came to the door saying, Breather, would you, can I have a cup of tea? And she said, of course, go back to your bed and I'll bring it down to you straight away. She said when she got down to the room, um, the, the poor man was after passing away. When she went to the nurse to say, you know, this is his cup of tea. And the nurse had said, Breather, you know, his... his 
he passed away about an hour ago. Ah, get away. I don't believe yeah. that. I swear to God, she's actually listening at the moment. She she can vouch for it. Uh, it yeah, she's... She went to see Betty Palmer years and years ago in the City Hall. Betty Palmer was um, Princess Diana's, um, I suppose, and she used to tell her her tarot cards and stuff like that. Um, and she came to the City Hall and as a present, my mum, this was going back years and years ago, and um, she, Betty Palmer had said to my mum that she herself has, has um, the ability, I suppose, to, you know, be spirits, I suppose, and... and you know, strange things happen to her. Very strange things happen to her. Things that can't be explained. <laughs> well, I can't argue. I can't argue what you're saying because you're saying it, he was dead an hour. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The yeah. only thing is, like, if, if would that be the best thing you would do if you had just passed away? Go looking for a cup of tea? I suppose that poor man, I don't know. I don't know. But you can't, but it, you say it happened. It happened. Yeah, well, from what my mum told me, and I believe every word she says. um, Do you go, I mean, do you go to tarot card readers and do you go to psychics and fortune tellers and all that? Yeah, I used to. I used to. I haven't been to one in a very long time. Um, I used to go to them um, years ago. I did actually have to go to one. I had to actually get one out to a house I was living in, in in Mahin at one stage, because... um, I woke up. I woke up one night, and I could see um, a, a person looking over the banister at me while I was in bed, um, asleep. And when, when when this lady, I can't remember her name, when she came, she had said that like um, where I was living was uh, very. Uh, it was an old burial ground, and um, there was you know a lot of spirits just roaming around and. I was just unlucky to have a couple of them in the house. Um, I had seen another um, figure standing at the end of the stairs one night when I was sitting on the couch watching TV and the lights. My friends actually called them one night and when I had told them, they were kind of sceptical about, you know, ghosts and stuff and they had named they had named um, this ghost Mary and, and the, when, when one of my buddies said, oh, hi, Mary, the lights in my hall in my front room started flicking on and off. Just when they were trying to... Kind of wind her up, like kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. The lights, the lights. My husband started. He he actually ran out of the house, jumped in his car, and, and wouldn't go back into the house afterwards. So you're awake when you see these people, the character over the banister, like as if it's a real person. Yeah, I woke up. I I was awake at that time. Yeah, I was awake at that time, and I was watching TV another time when I saw when I saw something standing at the end of the stairs. Full body. Yes, full body. Okay, yes. What and, dressed yeah. like what? Very dark. My my hall was the lights were turned off in my hall at the time. Very dark, a uh, very small figure, and um, dark figure. Um, I can't remember what way they were turned or anything, but I just do remember seeing. Um, I think it was a woman. I thought it was a woman at the time. You no, know, like you're so you're so place. lucky. You've had like ha- three or four of these experiences, and I've never had any. I mean, like at it must be time, amazing. At the time, it's very nerve wracking, very scary, and very nerve wracking. I think it would be but, fantastic. It hasn't happened to me in a very long time, being quite honest, which hasn't happened to me in about six six years. I know, but um, I mean, like, it must be an amazing... I mean, you might get a shock and a bit of a fright, but after that passes, like, you know, it must be great. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, I suppose it is. It is. Do you ever, like, uh, try and strike up a conversation with them? I don't know, because the, 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 the time I saw the person standing over or looking over the banister at me, I just completely froze. I couldn't... I couldn't speak. I couldn't. 
I just closed my eyes and, and you know. And was he looking straight at you? You were looking straight at him? Straight in my bedroom, yeah. Straight in my bedroom doors, yeah, yeah. Over the banister. He must have been very tall as well because the part of the banister that he was standing on, um, he was standing a few steps down the top of the stairs and he was looking over the banister. It wasn't a real person trying to bur- burgle the house, no? No. <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. No, no. Great stories, I nonetheless. Listen, thanks so much for sharing. I want to organise an address for you and get you some uh, a pizza voucher. Sit down and enjoy a big piping hot oak fire pizza for yourself. All right, Trace? That's fantastic. Thanks, Neil. Amazing story. I hear you're looking for ghost stories. My brother lived in a house with his wife and kids. Thir- there's 13 years between us, so I used to babysit him. Their sitting room door used to open by itself, and I'd hear, Oh, hello, Charlie. One night I was there on my own. It was an eerie, and it was an early evening. I was minding the kids when the curtains started blowing. I went over. There was no window open, not a puff of air outside. When my brother and his wife got home from work, I used to sleep over in a bedroom with my head close to the door. I saw movement outside the door one night, ran out thinking one of the kids had gone into the sitting room. I went out, saw a full-grown adult following the child. The sitting room door was closed and everyone was in bed with their doors closed. It wasn't the last time I saw or heard them either. The house was hundreds of years old at the time and there were many more stories we could tell you. What child was this full-grown adult following? Another ghost? The ghost of a child, perhaps? Uh, My brother can confirm this story. In my parents' house, we have a spirit. Uh, She's about eight years old. She wears a light blue, old-fashioned dress with a sort of white apron and she carries a lantern. She has blonde hair. We've all seen her numerous times over the years. We've often spotted her standing in our driveway. Uh, So remember now, this is a very old-fashioned dress and a white apron and an old-fashioned lantern. Um, One year, my parents were away. I was living out of home with my daughter, who was six or seven years old at the time. My brother had a few of his buddies over in the home house. One of them went to the bathroom. When he came back from the bathroom, he said to my brother, When did your niece and sister arrive here? My brother said they didn't arrive at all. And he said, your niece with blonde hair is standing at the end of the hall holding a light. My brother said, that's our little ghost girl who I'm always telling you about and you never believed me. My buddy, my brother said his buddies jumped and ran out of the house terrified. There's also a man that my mother and his brother have only seen a few times in the same house. I've never seen him, but my brother said he isn't nice at all. Weird things are always happening in our house. Well, if I was one of your buddies, I would not have run out of the house terrified. I don't think I would anyway. I think I would have calmly walked out of the room to where this little ghostly girl was standing. Uh, just to experience it for myself. I, mean, I would hope to think that's the way I would react to it. Anyway, enough of me. Back to the phone lines. Keith, good morning. Hey, the whole thing. All right, my man. Um, this is to do with your dad, is it? That's right, Jenny, there, that's what, uh, years ago there, that's what, the father, we say every New Year's Eve, Halloween or whatever, you could, the father would bring peanuts and the pub, you know, but this Halloween, the mother said, you know what I do, I'd put on the mother's shawl, and she went down the back entrance, waiting for the father to come. The back entrance of the pub, is it? No, the back entrance to our house. As he was coming back? Yeah, as he was coming back from the pub, and the mother said that she'd put the shawl on and give him a bit of a fright, his, his mother's shawl. Yeah. 
and the father would go in the back and the father came up the back. The, only, the, the father wouldn't raise his voice to the mother, no, I'd be honest with you, right? You know, kind of a man. And there was the mother, and the mother jumped out in front of him, and the big, whoa, when <laughs> the he, big what? <laughs> the big, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that's better, that's better. <laughs> Give it Willie. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> he came on a slap into the father's right? eyes. <laughs> the father was a big man, I know, he was on the 20th side, right? Oh, God. And he legged it down the backyard, and then we went back down to the pub, and we all went for a pair of peanuts, and oh, <laughs> we had to go down and pick the mother up, which, you know, but we never left. <laughs> so your, husband, then, your dad decked your mother? He did, and he wouldn't raise his voice to run the joke with you. He got such a fright. And the shot overhead, no, in fairness, no, he did look scary with the shot. Oh, my God, that was a prank that went badly wrong then. And it was brilliant, you know, we talked to him for years afterwards. But then I give him one more thing. If I had repaired him one time, right, I was in bed, and if I had one dead long. And as I said, no, we're a big family. We're all stressed overhead of the father. So I, I swore this night that the father was talking to me. And he was saying to me, Keith, will you go over to Tenemal? Relax. I'm somewhere I am. Everything is good. I go to the mother the next morning. And the said, the man, no, we'd all go over and say, the man. And do you know who I the last night? Who? I said to me, Dad, I saw he'd have to come to you, you were the favourite one, man, dear. Why did he come to me? Hey, mean, I got a bollock. I joked up to mother. He can't be about a month afterwards again. You think I tell the mother? No. <laughs> you have to stop visiting me, you'll get me into trouble. <laughs> and did he not tell, did he not tell you where he was or how he was getting on? Did he have his couple of what? points? You know, he told me, no, he said, I'm happy enough, that's where I am. He said, I'm watching down on the whole lot of me. Tell the whole lot of them, relax, all is good. And I told the mother, and she threw the balls at me. <laughs> so I wouldn't tell her anymore. <laughs> and you know, something, he didn't come back to me since. I just, he knew what the mother would say. <laughs> he might come back now after this conversation. <laughs> well, I won't be sure. No, I know I'm in the cave. <laughs> Mind yourself, kid. I'll organize a pizza for you. Stay on the line and we'll get an address from you. The line's open for your ghostly, spooky stories, please. Uh, if you want to get them down on paper, that's fine too. Email neil at uh, redfm.ie. I have two stories for you. The first one is on behalf of my aunt. When she was 18, she was coming home from a night out with a friend and was going up the old fever hospital steps. And there was a man with silver hair and a suit standing at the top of the steps. The two of them froze, knowing that something wasn't quite right. The man walked towards them, in between them, and then disappeared. They stood there frozen and then ran. Fifty-odd years later, they both still swear that this happened and the story is accurate. The fever hospital steps. Another is when I was seven. I was living in my grandmother's house uh, after her funeral. I was in my grandmother's house after her funeral. I walked into the living room after the funeral. And there she was, sitting there, smiling at me in her favorite chair. I said hello, walked into her bedroom. And there she was again, smiling at me. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to her before she died. And I think that was her coming back to say goodbye properly. I'm 23 now, and I can still see her smiling in front of me from that chair. 
Great stories, and I thank you for sharing them. I mean, I don't mean to be putting a downer on it, but do you think that maybe it was your imagination? Maybe it was in your mind's eye? I'm sure you will not agree with me on that. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red FM. Yes, indeedy. Text 0868104106, particularly with regards to your own spooky stories, your own ghostly stories, and we'll get through them, of course, of this morning and indeed tomorrow. Uh, because that'll be our last opportunity to get stuck into Halloween before uh, the weekend. Also, if you're coming up with different ways of uh, celebrating, having fun at Halloween, I have a funny feeling that it'll be a lot of the old-fashioned things that happen in the home. One of the greatest ones is uh, just a thumbtack, length of string, nail, apple, and coins. And uh, somebody gets up on a chair and you literally pin the string with the thumbtack, tack, I should say, to the ceiling and boy, you will have hours of fun with that one. Uh, somebody trying to uh, bite into the apple and get the money. It's just so simple, but it's an awful lot of fun. Uh, lines are open at one 106 You can text 0868-104-106. Here's one for you if you'd like to share, but don't give up my own details. But way back when myself and my husband moved out of home first, we rented a bungalow in Carrigaline. It was a beautiful house. I had just found out that I was pregnant and this would have been the very first night my partner at the time, we weren't married at this stage, uh, it was the very first night my partner had gone out and stayed out really late. I was really sick that night and I had uh, put my son to bed and I had an early night. At around 3 a.m., I felt what I thought was him coming into the room. I'm a light sleeper. So I turned around thinking it was him to say, where the hell have you been? And when I turned around, there was this woman standing next to my bed. She was facing me with her eyes staring out the window. Um, she was wearing this long white dress. I know, Neil, I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's the truth. I could see pearl buttons down the front of the dress. I could see that she had one of those high collars as well, similar to what a clown would have. No, I know what you're talking about. I know that kind of period dress that you're referring to. Her hair was curled and piled up on her head with a few curls around her face. She was a redhead. Her hair was maybe strawberry blonde. I turned around, I blinked, and I looked back. She was still there. She was just standing there, facing me. Her eyes turned towards the window as if she had seen something or was watching something just with her eyes. I quickly turned away again, blinked a couple of times more. When I turned around again, there was just a mist where she was. I jumped out of bed, ran to the front room where I sat at the front room window. I had it wide open with literally one leg out the window. I was gone if this one decided to show herself again. After a long time sitting on the windowsill, I thought I couldn't wake my son. Uh, And I was so exhausted. I tiptoed back in and closed that bedroom door. I slipped into the bed next to my son. I left every light in the house on. When my partner finally came home at around 6.30 in the morning, where in the name of God was he? He woke me to ask me why I was in the small fuller's bed. He was asking if he was sick and was everything okay. When I told him what happened, he laughed and he laughed. He told me my pregnancy hormones were getting the better of me. After that, I kept seeing strange things out of the corner of my eyes. I saw shadows. I saw movements. Uh, I know at the time, knew at the time, I needed to get the heck out of the house. I found another house in Blarney and we made arrangements to move. On the day we were leaving with the last few bits, the next door neighbor came and said, Are ye moving out as well? And I asked, As well? He said, Yes. I'm surprised you lasted as long as you have. 
We were there eight months. He said, you're the longest tenants that have lasted in that house. Did ye see her too? I said, who? He replied, that woman in the white dress. I was shocked, but at least relieved at the same time that somebody else knew of my story. My partner had me thinking that I was losing my mind. I was always skeptical. I knew what I had seen and the neighbor had just validated it for me. Apparently, there was a poltergeist activity reported by the last neighbors, which thankfully hadn't manifested at least when I was there. They can be quite violent, incidentally. A year later, I went to a psychic for a reading and they told me that whoever I have around me had stopped or kept the spirit at bay. And if it wasn't for a spirit of my family protecting me, I would have had a very different experience at the time with that woman. What was really creepy was that this lady who was giving me a reading was able to tell me all about what happened in the house without knowing me or knowing where the house was. Since the day we moved... I never drove past that house ever, ever again. Sorry about that. I'm a little bit early with that. I don't know what that happened. It just ran by itself, but we'll come back to it in a few minutes' time. So that's another one, another one of these spooky stories. Keep them coming because right across this week, we have a great Halloween giveaway, which is uh, all of our Oak Fire pizzas to give away, our international hotel takeaway food vouchers. They're worth 50 euro each. So you have some good feeding in that. We've got 50 euro vouchers for Azure Jewelers. We have also two sets of Azure Jewelry, which is like bracelets, earring sets. Um, you know, we've got some beautiful... Um, sterling set silver earrings and things like that and all of the oak fire pizza vouchers as well so keep those coming now we'll come back to some more of the uh, ghost stories throughout the course of the next hour and indeed next week when we really want to do it but um, we were talking yesterday about um, you know uh, issues involving people's age now I know we were talking about chivalry and that but also whether or not it's chivalrous to think on the elderly and the vulnerable as being as important as everybody else going through this COVID pandemic Um, and John says I can argue with almost anything you would say if you were to play the devil's advocate Neil and say something is essential is not essential I could show you how it is essential what is essential though to one person may not be essential to another all I can say is the government has done uh, a great job in deflecting their own shortcomings and now they have the public literally arguing what is essential what's not essential shirts socks off licenses golf Uh, I'm more worried about the elderly people and how the real damages of this so-called pandemic will soon come to light. The thing is, people have passed away from COVID-19, but the price we are paying as a country is so not worth this price. Someone put up a post on social media saying, if the lockdown saves one life, then it will all be worth it. But I would ask one question. If you take nothing else from this text, what are the figures of suicide in Ireland since the pandemic started? Am I correct, Neil, in saying that the numbers cannot be found? What price are we paying as a nation? Do you really believe if our government ministers were on the COVID payment, do you really think they would be willing to take all of the cuts in their pay? Uh, When you hear, we're all in this together, do you personally believe that statement? Well, actually, I don't believe it. I mean, I think it's crass, actually, to say we're all in this together because everybody's story and everybody's worries is their own. It's not as if somebody else is going to share your worry with you or share your stress. Like nobody else is going to pay your bills or your debts or your mortgage. So not everybody is in this together. People are in it. Yes, we're all in it. 
communally, but we all have our own struggles and they're individual to ourselves. So that's as much as I can say in agreement there. I don't personally believe the statement that we're all in this together. Certainly, uh, our lines are open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. I wonder if you don't mind, Lan, if I just give a dry hand over there because I don't have a bed to go under you. So just turning eleven o'clock, we go to Lan, o- Lan O'Connor with the news. Morning. Officially, Ireland's music station of the year. This is Cork's Red FM. So he says, "I'll tell you." He says, "I'll tell you why the off license is still open." He says, "Unfortunately, we live in Ireland, and Ireland is one of the highest alcohol tolerances." as a country in the world. Well, I don't know if the word tolerance is right. Maybe it's a problem with intolerance. Anyway, the people who are calling for off-license to be closed have clearly never worked in a pub or ran an off-license and clearly don't know what the alcohol culture is like in Ireland. I've worked in a bar all my life. Unfortunately, people rely on alcohol to get through the day, as sad as that may sound. For some people, alcohol is their only happiness in life, whether it can be the man or the woman who has 20 cans a day or two cans a day. It's also people's livelihoods. Those people are in need of alcohol now during this pandemic more than any other time. I can guarantee if they close the off licenses, it will lead to a lot more deaths due to withdrawals, depression and suicide. And it will also lead to looting and break-ins and premises. Not to mention the damage it will cause when people start making their own homemade pochine or other forms of alcohol. Then it starts to get really dangerous. People need to wake up. We are in Ireland. We are a drinking nation. It is our culture. It has been for many hundreds of years. I can't believe what I listen to on air with people complaining. People are so delusional about the Irish drinking culture. I think it is safe to say we are all only a first cousin away at least from an alcoholic. Closing the off licenses is like taking medicine away from someone with diabetes, for example. People just will not survive, uh, says Dara, who uh, talks of people's livelihoods and having worked in the pub and the pub business all his life. It's interesting you say that there will be a lot more deaths uh, because of if, if off licenses were closed and you talk about um, you know withdrawals, depression and suicide. I think you could link depression and suicide to alcohol abuse as well. Never mind the withdrawals, depression and suicide that you refer to if alcohol was withdrawn. I think it causes a lot of damage for people uh, who are drinking too much in with regards to uh, depression uh, as it is. So I think uh, there's no win-win there and really what you're saying should there's not. Um, mind you, I do take the point that you say if off-licenses were closed and the pubs are closed and the supermarket aisles were closed, that you could have people brewing their own and it would be putching, and of course, that of course would be uh, very, very detrimental. Lines open for that, and lots more besides. Text 0868104106, um, and I will come back to it throughout the course of the morning. But I have a bit of good news for you because this has dragged on for weeks and weeks with regards to Josephine and Teddy the Teddy, uh, who went missing. The backstory to this was that Teddy, who's very, very old, he's at least 75 years old and probably older, he went to France to have an operation. Because he needed, um, I think he needed a new foot and at least one new eye. And all of the surgery was done, but Teddy never came home. Josephine, good morning. Good morning to you, Neil. And there wasn't a week that went by that you weren't in touch with us two or three times a week, wondering, was there any updates as to where he was? So, is he home? He's home. He came home at 11 o'clock this morning. Special delivery from a a guy called Dennis O'Connor from Toker. From the sorting office in Toker? Yes. Okay. And tell me, by comparison to what he looked like before he went to France, how does he look now? Gorgeous. And you can listen to him. <laughs> He's squeaking. 
Oh, he's got a squeaky bit inside him, is he? Yes, yes, yes. I never knew he had a squeaky bit. But the lady that repaired him said he had a squeaky bit and she put it, she fixed it. He's gorgeous. He's absolutely gorgeous. I'm so happy. I'm grinning. I'm grinning from ear to ear. I'm so happy he's home. He's older so than happy. yourself, that fella. So somebody owned yes. him before you, I bet. No, 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 no. I got him as a gift when I was born. I'm 72, so he must be 73 to 75. And in all those years, I know we spoke about this before with you, you never lost him. That's amazing. No, no he's, he's been all over the world. He's been living in Kenya. He's been living in um, Switzerland. He's been living in the UK. He's been everywhere. So that's why he was so slow to come home. He, he loves, he's a bit of wanderlust about him. He Actually, he, 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 he didn't really want to come home, I suppose, because he was born in the north side and I'm living in the south side now. So he probably wanted to go back there. But anyway. <laughs> Where did I'm, he go? Because we were trying to track him. Was there confusion well, over his address or what? It's, uh, well, you know my niece. She's Linda, the driving instructor. Yes. He has a wonderful postman called Malcolm Stocks. He started the ball rolling again about uh, 10 days ago and um, he found him. Then there was a James Kelly down in Little Island. He went down there by mistake. And then there's another girl, Maria. She found him. And yesterday I was in town and I went into the general post office and I met a fella called Brendan. And he he tapped in the number into the um, tra- tracing thing and he says, he's the most famous Teddy in Cork City. Everybody knows about Teddy. <laughs> and Neil Prendeleville has been on as well. If Teddy, Teddy could talk. I heard he was up and down to the Port Leash sorting office a few times as well. Three times he went up to Port Leash. What the heck? From Cork. Doesn't it go to show you need to put an accurate, proper address on things, don't you? <laughs> it's, it's, it is a proper address. <laughs> okay. Well. But the gentleman, the Dennis fellow that delivered him today told me that there's a new fellow sorting... The post, when it came in, the parcel post, when it came in, and he thought Murphy's Farm, which I live in Bishopstown, was in the north side. There's a Murphy's Rock over there, That's you see, right, so he got, yeah. he got confused. But anyway, Teddy's home, he hasn't said much, he's squeaking, he's squeaking, but he's gorgeous. Oh, delighted he's for gorgeous. you. You he's shall not be separated hands. again. Never. He's got lovely new hands, he's got his eyes back. She put a little, a beautiful silk bow on him, and he's got new legs, new hands, and a new eye. And he's talking, he's talking, and his mummy is so happy. I'm delighted for you. I'm like a nutcase. Oh, I know, uh, it's a lovely reunification. You need to send me a photograph that we can share. I will, I will, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll take a photograph now, and I'll try and send them to you. And have a bit of a teddy bear's picnic, why don't you? I will, yeah. Yeah. If only I could take him out for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> what do teddy bears eat? <laughs> oh, God, I don't know. Honey, no isn't idea. it? Honey, I think. Oh, well, I've got enough honey in the house. All right. Well, listen, I'm, I'm delighted. We had a lot of fun over I'm the last so few weeks. I'm delighted it it's come to a happy a lot conclusion. Of fun. A lot of tears as well, because I thought he was going to be lost, you know? Mm. Well, thank God he wasn't. So he's safe and home with you again. See, they... they, 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 they <laughs> They didn't update the um, tracking all that every day at all, so I thought it was lost. Anyway, thank you so much. You're so welcome, Josephine. And you've got a wonderful team there, Seamus, Mark and Brenda. They really took... Well, they were as concerned, not as concerned as you, obviously, because you're Teddy's best mate, but they really took it on board and wanted to see if they could resolve it. They did. Lovely story. Thanks. Much obliged. Thank Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you so much. God bless. Don't forget the photograph. Josephine and Teddy reunified again. Thank God. To the phone lines we stay. Paul, the bus driver, morning. 
you were just at the airport, is it? That's right, Neil. Well, earlier this morning, there, I was on the above my time in the in the bus in the the airport and watching the people walking around the place with their baggages coming off the flight and a few lads then coming off the softboards heading heading off for the for their softing. There's no isolating being done here. Then, like to, to us, who's been locked down, like. They've got surfboards with them. They're heading west to catch the waves and the big wind. Um, sure, look, I want to head west too. I head east to go fishing for doing a bit of night fishing at night. And I can't do it, like. Would anybody have stopped them and asked them, where are you going with the surfboards? Well, they're, they're going out in, in, into cars who are waiting for them, so I wouldn't think so. But sure, are we total fools or what if this is being allowed? Well, that's, 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 what, I, that's what I said myself. Neil, are we fools for this going to carry on? Uh, I'm into my fishing in a big way myself and I can't go down to the beaches at night to do a bit of night fishing at beaches because it's outside my 5k but I'm on my own I travel on my own to go fishing and, I, and I'm in stuff but these people can travel in from other countries and hop into cars and hop into buses without no isolation and no nothing and we're wondering then how the virus has been spread so fast some might say that they're surfing on waves, they're not, not in contact with anybody else kind of thing. You wouldn't buy that, no? No, well, look, as, I, as, I, as I said to you just then, I go fishing on my own. I know. And probably our lads around, around the city, we want to go down to the beach at night to fish there to come in tide. We're on our own. So who's going to be looking for us? Only for the men in the white coat to take us away for being mad for standing on the beach. So you're doing night. what's required of you and the, these characters coming in then with surfboards. Where would they come from? Is that a Heathrow flight, do you think? That I don't know, and only lies at Clay's out in the forecourt waiting. So many other people coming off the flight, do you know? There was a good few coming off it. There was a, good, a lot of people, a lot of people walking out of, of, of the, the terminal, going into cars, you know? Yeah, I know. That could be business, business related or people coming home. Or I wouldn't think so. Yeah, well, people, no? well, there are probably people coming home more, more than business people because they're, they're big baggage, is what I'm like, you know? Might have been overseas on a sun holiday or something. Who knows? Who knows? Oh, who knows where they are, but they won't be isolating for two weeks. Neither where we're, where we're being locked down, like, you know? Well, it must be very, very annoying for you as a fisherman. You see fellas coming in with surfboards and heading west to catch the waves. It's like as if it doesn't apply to them. What's more annoying is that other people who are locked down can't do nothing, and these people are coming in, and there's no control over I know, I know, I know. If you go down the road, if you go down the road, the halfway, the halfway there now, there's a check, a checkpoint down there, where guards stop stopping cars, where are you going, where are you going, but not stopping these people. Right. And if I don't do what I'm told to do, I'll be fined. Yeah? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I understand why you're so exasperated and other people will be listening to it. Cheers, Paul. Mind yourself. Drive safely. Take care. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. There was a call made to uh, McCroom Guards by uh, a local who was alleging that uh, the direct provision centre in McCroom, that some women uh, were engaged in uh, prostitution, that men were driving and pulling up across the road and women were running out and jumping in. Uh, two cars. Now, I was talking about that earlier on this morning. I'd heard the audio, which I can't share with you because the recording of individuals over the phone without consent is in breach of uh, Telecommunications Regulations Act 1993. So I have to honour and respect that. 
Well, we chatted then with Sheila, who's an administrator of the McCroom Friends of Asylum Seekers Facebook page. She says, it's not true, it's a rumor, and it's very hurtful. Uh, Tom says, everyone knows what's going on in McCroom. The cars do stop across the road. Somebody else says, I can't come on air, Neil, but send a reporter out to McCroom some night, any night. Clients down here are boasting about it. Another one here saying, a McCroom local call to say that it is true. Um, again, you never know what's true and what people believe to be true because of rumour. Uh, but it was, um, just going back to my, my phone lines now, it was Elaine uh, who actually made the call uh, to the Gardaí. Morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. Although you didn't see anything yourself. Um, actually, Neil, we, we have seen stuff down there. We have seen women leaving uh, the direct provision centre, hopping into cars. We actually have registrations also for these cars that we will be disclosing. Now, let me just be clear now. Is it you saw it or is it your mother and your daughter my saw mother, it? My mother saw uh, a very, uh, how would I put it, a very graphic incident happening with my daughter uh, a few weeks back in a public area inside McCroom. A sex act. Yeah, a sex act in a public area where children are known to associate, where kids go for walks with their moms, their parents, their grandparents. On that day, my child was out with my mother, my 66-year-old mother. And both of them told you what they saw? My mother, Kelsey, my daughter, saw them on the ground. I'd say not knowing what was going on, in the middle of the field, and my mother had to direct her away from the scene okay. that was happening. Okay, but that, that could class. be, but that could be anybody. How do you manage to trace that back to the direct provision centre? Neil, these are the women from the, my mother. We're, we're living in McCroom. We we see these people coming in. We feel sorry for them. We donate them, and then this is this is what's happening in McCroom. This is what's happening. They can deny it or they can have their information a little bit off kilter. But regardless of what they say, this is happening. Okay, well, all, well, all, all I can say in response to that is that Sheila says, is not true. Residents are aware of the rumours that are going about um, and they're very upset with people who are propagating rumour. They're referring to there, you, I guess. There's no rumour, Neil, when the Gardaí are admitting that they know about the prostitution ring that's happening in McComb Production Division. No, they're unaware of any incidents of public indecency in recent times. That's what they said. That's, yeah, and my mother is going forward to make a statement. She has been rang several times by McCroom Gardaí to come up and make the statement so that they can then launch their investigation. Even and though they told me on the call already that they had launched an investigation. There is, yeah. They are making inquiries into the allegation made in relation to suspected prostitution in McCroom. They are. Yeah. Um, but, like, so how how does it work? You you tell me, Neil. The, the recording that uh, I made was leaked all over social media and then some, the lads, some young lads... Well, first of all, you, you first of all, you recorded your conversation, didn't you? I did. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, I did, yeah. Did the guard know that you were recording him? No, he didn't. How do you feel about that? Um, I feel a little bit deceitful, but at the same time, they're turning a blind eye to what's happening inside in the town. But park that for a moment, because you recording an individual over the phone without his or her consent is um, a prosecutable offence. Um, I, I don't think so, Neil. I think if you, ter- if you record a third party, if I was recording two other people having a conversation... That is in breach of the law. No, I clarified this with the guards and they said 
The recording of individuals over the phone without consent is in breach of the Interception of Postal Packets and Telecommunication Messages Act 1993. They could prosecute you for that now. I'll, I'll wait for that prosecution. You can't hide the truth. You can't lie about the truth. Like, How does it work with clients then? How do they get in touch with um, I, I'm assuming girls. that there's something organised, maybe online or something like that, because uh, well, we have registrations of cars that are stopping and picking up these when I ask these centres, and they're then dropping them off again. I also know two previous workers that have been working before the direct provision ever opened up inside in that hotel, and they were cleaners out there. And okay, I don't want to know who they are, but just give me what. I'm not mentioning any names yeah. or anything, but they also witnessed what's going on when this direct vision opened up because they were there doing their clothes and cleaning up and keeping the place clean and tidy for them. They also witnessed what was going on. They also witnessed Gardaí having to be called to that direct vision centre. For what? What would a guard be called for? for? For actually having sexual intercourse across the road okay. from the direct vision centre. Now, if they don't have respect for our dead in the country, how are they going to respect the living? Um, if it is true, isn't it a desperate thing that they feel they have to engage in sex acts like this for money? This, this is it. Charlie Flanagan is, is trafficking these women through, through the direct provision centres. This, this is the better life that he bought them here for. To be doing this alone inside in local towns. That's not on at all. He's essentially, you could literally, literally say he's a pimp-like. Well, I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that. Well, I mean, like in fairness, you need to. No, no, I can't accept that at all whatsoever. I think, in fairness, no, 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 no. You can't be using inflamed language like that. I think that. I think that many people would think that the direct provision centre uh, should be shut down. Um, and the, the plan is to do that. The plan is to do that in the future. But right now, this is where we find ourselves with thousands of people in direct provision. Um, yeah. And and I'm caught in the middle because you're saying it's true. Uh, those that are supporting, uh, actively supporting those within the asylum seeker system uh, are saying that it's false and it's hurtful and it's unkind. I, I believe my mother over anyone. Yes, but that, that may well have happened, but it, it's a stretch then to, unless you've actually seen it with your own eyes, it's a stretch to connect somebody having sex in a field back to the direct provision centre. It wasn't actual intercourse, it was oral sex inside in her field. There was a man between her legs. All right, okay, well, let's not be overly okay. graphic about it, but yeah, yeah. And, that, and you say that was for money and that she was living in the direct provision centre. She is living in the direct provision centre. We see them daily. We see loads of them daily. And they're really nice people. I don't know why they're, they're resorting to this way of life. If this is a lifestyle choice, like, this is, you can't, like, do it anywhere else. Do it wherever you want to do, because apparently it's not illegal in Ireland to solicit your body. It's illegal to buy it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. You're going after so clients that's, that's, now, yeah. So why don't you give the re- car regs to um, the Gardaí? We are, we are disclosing them. Me and another girl will be disclosing that information. And is there many people in McCroom talking about this? This, there's, I've met several people over the last few weeks that knew what was happening, but, you know, they were kind of afraid to say it or for fear that, you know, that people would judge them for what they're saying or they're seen as racist. You're not racist for speaking up about soliciting. You're not. But maybe just McCroom is full of people who have just heard false rumour. No, it's not false rumour, okay. because since that call went out, I've had people from Mill Street and other parts of the country telling me the exact same thing 
is happening in their area. This is what's happening. In other direct provision centres, you're other saying? other direct provision centres, along with McCroom. Okay, okay. If you're living in same direct provision centres, you're on very small money every week. 19 they're euro. 19 euro. And they're walking around inside McCroom with shoes on them worth 160 and 170 euros a pair. These are people from more to countries with nothing. They're better dressed than I am. So come on now, Neil. Well... All I can do is listen to the stories that people are telling I me. I mean, I can't. I I'm not. I'm not investigating this. This is a job for the Garda Shikana. Yeah. You're going to give them the car regs? Oh, absolutely. We'll, I absolutely will be disclosing that information. So why haven't and you given mother, to them already? Because I haven't been in, in speaking to them since. Okay. Okay. I thought that you know maybe when the conversation leaked, they would have got in touch and said that. Uh, how did that conversation it. get out? I um, We're in a movement, Neil. I'm in a people's movement online. There's about 20,000 of us in the movement, and there's probably about 15 of us that would be uh, closely associated. And I shared that conversation with, uh, I'd say, maybe a handful of them. And one guy in particular leaked that entire conversation. Now, I did have uproar with him after. He had no right okay. to do it, that it was okay. completely confidential, and it was leaked online. Okay, the recording of individuals over the phone without their consent is a breach. It yeah. could well be investigated in itself by the Garda Shikona, so wait and see if that happens. I'll wait and see. All right, um, I, w- I know I regret this, but what is this movement of which there are 20,000 of you? Um, it's, it's, we're just against the, the corruption, Neil, that's happening inside in this country, not just direct provision, but at every angle of it. If it's uh, the COVID as well. I mean, it's just, we're just anti it. Like, we're no virus and nothing has ever been isolated to even say that this is real. And they're already, Pfizer are now in the midst of telling, like, people that there is a vaccination readily made. Yeah. The FDA are going approving it and it's going to be ready soon for distribution in yeah. this country. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't be someone to jump on a bandwagon to take a vaccination that hasn't been properly oh, well. tested. It takes up All to right. eight years to make it. No, vaccine. no, it's fine. I, I understand. I understand what your group is about. This is a, demo- a democracy, so you're entitled to have that point of view. You are entitled. You are to it. Okay. No, it's fine. It's great. Not democracy. everybody would agree. I was just curious as to what twenty thousand of you had joined together under, and that is um, your, your, your issues with regards to COVID nineteen. Like, okay. You know? All right. Um, let's see if we can find out any more about this and uh, see if there's anybody who uh, actually has witnessed activity down in the McCroom area. Uh, appreciate you taking the call, Elaine. Thanks for now. Cheers. One eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Liz, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How uh, are you? Did you want to pick up on this conversation? I did. Like, I really feel there's a lot of blame here, and um, with regards to the sex workers, like, you know, soliciting your body isn't illegal for a reason. Demand, you know, paying for sex is illegal because it's the market that's there. Like, people want to take a long, hard look at themselves in the room. There's clearly a market there, and there's clearly no. I, no, a second. That's assuming that this is true, right? Correct. And I'm Absolutely. not. I'm not convinced yet that it is. Yeah. Yeah, agreed, agreed. But look, you know, even if people are making those accusations, they need to have a long, hard look at the people that are buying sex from these so-called sex workers in the direct provision centres, you know? That's not right either. They're the local men and they're the the men in the surrounding areas of McCroom. Like, that's an awful accusation to be making to them as well. 
So, you know, if the residents of McCroom really believe that this is true, they need to kind of say, are these our husbands? Are these our boyfriends? Are these our, you know, the men of our community? They may, be none, they may be none of that. They may be single. Exactly. They may not have girlfriends. They just might want sex. Correct, but it is illegal to buy sex. I'm not saying that, but I'm, I'm yeah. just... You know, you, I don't want to be the one or you either to be casting aspersions on the married men of McCroom. They may not be married. They may no, not, have, not, they not, may not be cheating absolutely. on a girlfriend. Absolutely. But, you know, from what the, the callers have been saying this morning, there is people buying sex mm. from these women mm. in the direct provision centres. So, you know, they want to have a look and think, right, who are these men? Are they the men of our community? Because that is not right. You know, we can't have that going on under our doors. Well, if it is, if it is going on, then you would worry that other women are being harassed in the McCroom area that men may believe that they also are sex workers when they are not. Yeah, well, again, look, that's another story. I don't know if there's been any reported. Like, personally, no, we would be in and out of McCroom a lot and we would never see any of that. Elaine um, says it's happening out of other direct provision centres besides McCroom. She's been in touch with people, she says, who are sharing similar stories. Is it, you know, the My Body, My Choice, you know? Yeah. Does that, yeah, not, does that, does that apply at all to women who um, uh, are sex workers? Well, it does, you see. That's why sex workers are not criminalised themselves. So it's those that are buying sex work. There could be a lot of coercion involved there. You know, there's many, many reasons why women might have to choose to sell bodies. So, you know, like gone are the days when we, you know, label these women as prostitutes and when we don't support them. We need to genuinely look at the reasons as to if this is going on, look, who are the people that are buying this and what are the reasons behind it? You know, I think you made a point earlier, like, isn't it an awful state of affairs with someone who gets 30 euros a week or whatever the, the, the rate is at the moment has to go away and sell their body? You know, like, it, it just... Well, your fear and your fear would be that they are being coerced into it if they are doing it. And, that, and, and an amount of women who engage in the sex trade are being done, are doing it against their will because they are being pimped and they get little or no money and it's their pimp gets it all. That's correct. And then others are being trafficked into the country, aren't they? And their passports are taken. It's frightening. It is frightening. So look, you know, rather than pushing the blame on these sex workers, I think we need to look at if it's true, like who's buying it, but also what are the reasons behind it? Who's setting this up, you know, who's supporting this kind of a market? Thanks, Liz. Appreciate it. Okay. Yeah, good Thank words. You, well done. Thank you. Text 0868104 on this. Pick up the phone on 1850 We've got calls on the way. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. And that was Elaine's version of events in McCroom. Um, and thank you for it. Uh, she is right, Neil. The woman on the air. Elaine is right. I've seen it myself. I'm not from McCroom at all, but I am not blind and I'm certainly not stupid, I have seen the activity. The Irish Times wrote from uh, this time last year that the National Network of Migrant Women sent a report to the Oireachtas Committee on Justice and Equality warning that women in direct provision centres were being pushed into prostitution. Uh, And that report that they submitted said many women, and in some cases children, are offered money for sex by staff, other residents and neighbours from local towns. So it was a warning of this. If it is true in McCroom, we were warned about this 12 months ago. Most women who go through the system have been propositioned by a stranger near where they live. Others are groomed by male residents operating within the centres as pimps 
within the accommodation. This is happening in cities, towns and rural areas, the report said. Most of those engaging in prostitution are reluctant to admit to the fact that they are for fear as being seen as bad women. Uh, I can't read out the entire article for it is quite lengthy, uh, but they say it's been going on since the year 2000. If you're going to demean a person and force them to live on 38 euro a week, some people will turn to sex work. It's survival work. Uh, We're doing that to these people as a country. One woman who spoke on condition of anonymity says male asylum seekers are often the people who act as a point of contact between men who approach direct provision accommodation looking for sex and women in the center. Uh, They said in the report, the cars pull up outside and they'll meet a guy who lives here and ask him, can you hook us up with some girls? The same woman says she was once approached by a male asylum seeker who said to her she could make 100 euro per day by having sex for five minutes. He knew I had kids and told me, you'll make money and be supporting your children. When I told him I wasn't interested, he asked, why are you refusing this opportunity? Do you know, do you, don't you know how to have sex? I told him I have sex, but I need to have feelings to do it. So that's just a few paragraphs from an article warning of this last year from the Irish Times. Um, so lines are open on that, one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text 106 Can I just change again? And I will come back to that if there's any further information or updates to report on it. But I think it's quite sad, actually, particularly if there are men within the system who are coercing and forcing women of all ages, um, from the very young, um, to engage in sex activity with strangers for money. And I guess that whoever the pimp is, we just spoke about there um, for the article from 12 months ago, he's getting his share and the misfortunate girl is getting a share as well. And she may well be doing it out of fear, maybe out of necessity, but certainly out of fear. And you have to ask yourself a question about the men who are uh, approaching, um, you know, direct provision centers looking for sex. It doesn't say much about them now, does it? Lines open on that one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Back again now, though, to issues around the weekend ahead and all Hallows Eve, when the spirits come back to visit us. And from this morning's conversation, it seems as if it just doesn't have to be Halloween to meet with a ghostly, spooky spirit uh, who has passed on. Many people have had experiences uh, themselves in various times of their life. Burr, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are and you? you? I'm good. And you were in hospital some years ago. What yeah, hosp- you, actually, it was, I tell you now, it was actually in November now that I remember it. it there was you go. In the month of November. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was in hospital, I had an operation, and, um, you know, all the visitors went away that night, so I settled down to go to sleep, and I'm a light sleeper anyway. But I was awoken by the sound of the door opening. Was this uh, a ward in a big hospital? Where was it? Uh, I was in a private room. CUH? In a big hospital. No, no, not not CUH. Okay. Uh, Victoria. Oh, a big old hospital. <laughs> <laughs> a big old hospital, right. So I opened my eyes thinking it was the nurse. But all I saw was a shadow walking from the door across to the end of the bed. I just nearly had a stroke now on the spot. I, I was coming to the bed in fright. I closed my eyes when I opened my eyes. <clears throat> it was gone. So I rang the, the button for the nurse because I couldn't get out of the bed after the operation. So she came down <clears throat> and she said, I said, I need to use the bathroom. I couldn't tell her. I said, she'd have thought I was going to my game. 
So I went into the bathroom anyway, came back out, set it down, she was going back out. I said, leave the light on out there, I said, and I said, leave the door open. <laughs> so she went off out and she came back about 10 minutes later and she said, I have to close the door there now. I said, no, no, leave the door open. No, sure, I have to close it. There was somebody after dying in the next room and they were closing the doors so they could bring the body down to the morgue. So the minute I could hear the trolley passing the, the door, I jumped back out of the bed. I had crawled out of the bed, I should say. They couldn't get out to open the door. And I never slept a wink. The doctor came around the next morning to check me out. You know, the way the consultants come around. I was supposed to stay about another two days. And he said to me, sure, grand, you can go home. Look, stay if you want to. He needn't have said it. I just, I grand, I said, and gone. I was packed in five minutes and out of the hospital. Why didn't you say it to the nurse? No, I thought she'd say, she's, she's going off her game like you know my family think to this day that I was hallucinating but there's no way I was hallucinating because I'm a light sleeper anyway yeah but you might have been on some kind of pain killing happy juice or something no 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 definitely not no I was I was probably was but no definitely to this day I'm not the kind of person that say which you know you know it wouldn't frighten me these you know ghost stories don't frighten me but this just nearly took the life out of me with the fright. Describe the fright this, this. Was this through a closed door, this apparition? Your door was closed. Door op- I heard the door opening. <clears throat> I actually heard the door opening and closing. And then when I opened my eyes, the shadow walked from the door across the end of the bed. Do you know where it went after that? Anyway, because I closed my eyes with fright. The shadow, did it have a kind of human form to it? Yeah, it did, yeah. Do you think it was the spirit or the ghost of the man who had just died leaving his body then? Could possibly have been. Could possibly have been, but like, he could have went out his own window, not mine. (laughs) 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 That's true. I swear to God. You see, if you'd said, I know you can't now because it's in the past, but if you'd said it to the nurse, she might have said, oh yeah, we've had spooky apparitions like that. It's a very old hospital and there are ghosts here. You know, a bit Boy, like, did you ever see the movie The Sixth Sense? I did. I see dead people. <laughs> I gotta watch that again at the weekend. <laughs> but like, I if, see if, dead if I ever have to go back into hospital again, I never, ever go into a private room. Never. <laughs> I'd always have to have somebody in the room with me. Never. <laughs> I think you're very lucky to have had an experience like that. Do you? I do. <laughs> I'd love something like that to happen. I would just, I'm telling you, if it happened to you, you wouldn't be so um, <laughs> eager to have it happen to you again, like. It's, and it's the only time it has never happened to me since. I have never seen anything like that. It was just that night. And as I was thinking back, it was actually in November, the month of the Holy Souls. The month Souls, of really. the Holy Souls. Great story. Thanks so much for that. We'll organize <laughs> okay. a hot pizza voucher for you and you can sit back and share that story and share the pizza with family members. Lots on Halloween, actually, with regards to what you can and can't do and should or shouldn't do. And we'll get back to that in the morning. How are you going to spend Halloween Saturday night with the kids differently? And a lot of people coming up with a lot of good ideas. Uh, let me just stay with the phone lines. Joan, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Good. We're going way back to your childhood, is it? Yeah. Um, when I was like a child, I was outside at home with my mother and she was locking up the garage. Where's this now? Uh, Burnforge. Okay, rural Cork up around Malloway, okay. Yeah, that's it. Very rural, especially back then. So I just looked out in the road and it was a very bad night, bad wind, lashing rain. 
and there was just this man standing in the middle of the road wearing a suit and a top hat like the gentry would wear before and ah come on now give me a break really seriously yeah so I, I said to her, I pointed to my order like and she told, I was, wanted to go over and talk to him and she said uh, oh don't go near him or don't go over and she she didn't really take all that notice but the minute she turned her back anyway I ran out to the road and jumped kind of up the top of the wall and had to look up the road the long stretch of road and he was just gone just disappeared well I couldn't see him and I didn't think I didn't like I remember back then thinking God he must have been that fast you know he didn't look a young man in the wind and the lashing rain yeah pitch black night winter in an, in an old fashioned suit with a high top hat an old yeah. man yeah you like you, something used to films you don't think you just had an active imagination no, because, you know what, I'm the least imaginative person ever. I have no imagination, I'm very bad. You see, it's amazing when people tell these stories because I can't, you can't argue with somebody. They say they saw it, they say they experienced it and you can't kind of say, well, I don't believe you because, you know, it's something that you say we, you went through, you experienced, you're not, you know... You, yeah, now unless one of the neighbours was playing dressed up or something, but I doubt it. <laughs> I didn't recognise him. Do you see his face? Yeah, he just looked like an old man. With a beard, like his facial hair, not not a beard, but just some facial hair. So that would have been a spirit, certainly from the eight, early 1800s. Possibly, yeah. Must have been. I actually have one other weird story as well. I don't know if any of your listeners would have experienced the same thing. Crows knocking on a window. Like two years ago or something uh, I woke up in the morning I was in, it was in bed for my partner and uh, there was cro- I looked out the window there was a load of knocking there was a load of crows and they flew away so that's my partner I said I have a funeral to go to now we knew we knew someone that was unwell and I said I'll see about that person but they hadn't passed away but then he was looking on Facebook and he said oh do you know um, such a person there's a priest that me and my mother knew just a nice a nice man would come and bless the house things like that and he was after suddenly passing away now, I didn't really know anyone, you know, connected to him, so I wouldn't have known that I had a funeral to go to, only for the fact that I, I thought these crows warned me kind of thing. Do you think that it was a warning that the crows were delivering a message, or they just wanted to eat the seal from the window? They, they, they I don't know what kind of windows you have, but you know that seal? Yeah, I know the landlord said they'd been picky, but it never happened any other time in the house. No, I don't. I don't mean. I don't mean to burst your. I don't mean to burst your bubble in that regard. I mean, if you want to believe oh, that it was not, birth. not at all. Like, it was just, it was just a, kind of a thing I had. I don't know what was this from my childhood or what. I was like, oh, that means I have a funeral to go to, but no one, you know, I didn't know anyone. Oh, is this a, is this a known thing that you know crows um, are connected with death? In my head, it is. But I said it to, like I said it to my friends and things, and they don't. But my mother would believe the same thing, but. Maybe other people around this park have the same belief. Let's see. Thank you for sharing yeah, yours. Stay on the phone line there. we got an address for you and we'll organize a Oak Fire pizza voucher for you. We also have takeaway food vouchers for the International Hotel. We have wonderful vouchers and gift sets from Azure Jewelers and, of course, the Oak Fire pizza vouchers. I will also, in a few minutes' time, be opening the phone lines for another couple of our hamper boxes from TomDurkinMeats.ie. They're open for business at the English market, but you can also order online 
fine. And you know what? They provide free local delivery as well. Not just for now, but looking ahead to Christmas. And these voucher, or sorry, these uh, hamper boxes include a kilo of Blossna Heron Gold Award winning spiced beef. We have minced steak, there's diced steak, there's pork chops, strip loin steaks, sirloin beef burgers, and chicken fillets all in there. So we'll be opening the phone lines on that in a few minutes' time. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. With regards to McCroom, what if they are boyfriends or just casual hookups driving up outside? What proof does anybody have that uh, money is changing hands and that would make it prostitution? Where's the proof? It could be casual hookups. There's a lot of texts on this. Um, it is true. What's going on in McCroom? I saw it myself. What are the guards doing about it? Well, I read out the article from the Irish Times last year saying that this kind of thing is happening uh, and the women are have been coerced and forced into it sometimes by residents within the centres themselves. Um, and I'll come back to that, I will. I see a lot of other texts. On a light-hearted note, uh, someone is suggesting, um, uh, well, not suggesting, but asking a question as to why is it that ghosts always seem to be at the end of a bed? <laughs> That's a good question. But I tell you what, it's a wonderful prizes uh, all day tomorrow on tomorrow's show to give away uh, to people who will share their own ghost stories and their spooky experiences as we head into Halloween. Everybody loves to get a good old-fashioned spooky fright. Uh, and everyone just loves ghost stories. I mean, don't they? Absolutely. Love ghost. What's that latest one? Uh, what is there's um, The Haunting of Different Houses. Is it called the, uh, the Haunting of High House, is it? Or Hill House or something like that? Everybody seems to be watching it. I don't know, is it worth the punch? You know the way you watch these films because everybody's watching and you're halfway through and you end up wondering, what in the name of God did I watch that for? Um, but I'm mad keen to get a couple of box sets. We might talk about that tomorrow anyway um, as to what's worth watching. One of the best things I've seen recently, and I'd love another one like it, is Fauda. You know, the Israeli-Palestinian uh, I think it ran for three or four seasons. It was incredible. If you haven't seen that. So other ones like that must be nuggets out, nuggets out there and gems. You kind of get fed up looking at, um, you know, the details of different series, wondering will I or won't I? I love a good recommendation. Uh, so maybe we might come back to that tomorrow if people have some great recommendations. Um, and we'll pick up on that for the weekend ahead. But the last word on this, what have I got? I don't have much time, about two and a half minutes. Uh, Marie, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? I'm very good. Now, um, your daddy told you a story years back, is it? Oh, years, years ago. Um, Neil, my father used to always tell us this same story in Halloween. Um, to frighten you as kids? To, to just probably. And, and it worked. <laughs> and he told it very well, did he? He did. So I hope I can do him justice for the few minutes I have. Go on, then. So, listen, he had um, three friends... And they went to a, a dance one night and they were coming home and it was rather late. And they were, you know, messing the three lads coming along the road, but they they passed the graveyard on their way. And as they passed by the gate, Neil, one of them went over and there were there were a few skulls and a few bones and things brushed up again against the gate. And he just happened to kick one of the skulls onto the roadway. And so they decided they were walking home. They were jolly after their night out. And they started kicking the skull on their way home. And then as they neared their own homes, two of them left and one lad was left with the skull. So he kicked it along. Pardon me. He kicked it along until he came to his own home. He kicked it and left it on the, on the side of the road, went in and went off to bed. 
turned off the lights, went off to bed, and he was only just in bed when he heard this terrible banging at the front door, and so he got out of bed and ran down, thinking that something had happened to his friends or something, and here was the skull on the footpath, and all he could hear was, put me back where you found me, put me back where you found me. And he got so terrified, he kicked his cross the road, went in, locked the door and went off up to bed. And the same thing happened again. And he came down again and the, the, the shouting got louder, put me back where you found me, put you back where you found put me. Put me back where you found me. Yeah, yeah. And the hairs stand on your head then. And so he got dressed again, he got out of bed and ran back towards the graveyard where he found the skull and he pushed it inside the gate. And he was so terrified, he doesn't, he, my father told me, he never remembered running back home and getting <laughs> into bed. He tells a great story, doesn't he, your dad? Oh, he did. And he, he, he convinced us it was true. But you would, you could convince a child of that being true. Kids love stories like that. I just, I just said to the skull, what are you going to do about it? You're a skull. Like, you can't hit me. You can't run after me. You're a skull on the ground. Yeah, yeah. But he was so terrified, you know. He kind of realized that, that they shouldn't have did it. You know, and brought it back. So be careful, Neil, if you're passing the graveyard. Right. Kicking any skull. Thanks, Marie. <laughs> All right. Let's stay open at 1850-104-106. Get dialing now. We'll take callers 9 and 10 for our Tom Durkin meat hampers. Get dialing for those. Uh, callers 9 and 10, 1850-104-106. We'll pick up on all of this in the morning. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.